shotglassdigital.com. On this episode of Geek Out Loud, we are talking Avengers Age of Ultron, and we're doing it with one of our favorite people in the whole wide world. It's Eric Schoenweiss and some Pass the Court, along with Avengers Talk, on this, your safe place to geek out, the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. And after four straight episodes of Not at Celebration coverage, we return with some We Saw Avengers coverage. Spoiler alert right out of the gate. We're going to spoil the heck out of this movie later on in the show. But before we get there, we've got a couple of other things to do. And to help us do that is one of our favorite people in the whole wide world. One of my favorite people in the whole wide world. He's he's the only person that I literally call my brother from another mother. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Geek Out Loud the uh, the the host and, uh, and, and the mind behind Pass the Corn, our good friend Eric Schoenweiss. Hello, my brother from another mother. How and are you, hello man? to all of our listeners out there in the Geek Out Loud universe. Yes, sir. We're coming at you live, uh, for those of you listening live. And we do it often at Mixer.com slash Goalaverse. We appreciate everyone joining in live. And if you've downloaded this via the podcasting ways, whether it be a Stitcher or iTunes or however you get your podcast, we uh, thank you. So, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And we also thank everyone who uses the Amazon links at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com to do your Amazon shopping. Man, Star Wars Day was a couple of days ago, and Amazon had some great deals on some toys and such as. And um, as did, uh, as did I, I told him I wasn't going to give him a free plug again, but I have to. Dorkside Toys had some great deals, some 99-cent Hot Wheels, that sort of thing. I was all over it. I love the Star Wars Hot Wheels. Don't know how you feel about those, Irish, but I have I found myself loving them. Uh, I, I really not. I was really not aware of the the large Hot Wheels collecting community. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, they're as passionate as like the Wars collectors, man. So I'm the, I'm a Lego guy. Uh, I I love the the Legos and especially the Wars Legos. So that that's where I tend to to focus my attentions. Well, I wasn't going to do these Hot Wheels things, and then I saw them. What I was really digging, though, are those new... They're actually doing, like, the Millennium Falcon and some X-Wings. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and they look fantastic. Yeah, I heard Jimmy Mack talking about them on the uh, the Rebel Force show. Yeah, well, I saw they had, uh, at Celebration there in the cantina, they had some of the Mattel guys 
showing them off. And what's really cool is they have display stands you can set them on. But also, if you're a kid and want to play, dink dink. If you're a kid and want to play, uh, right. you can wear the you can wear those display stands on your finger. So that you're actually, you can get right behind the thing and fly it around. It looks amazing. Oh, looks, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. Very fun. We, we got to watch them pull the big life-size Darth Vader Hot Wheel car into their display booth. Nice. That that was pretty neat. Everybody nice. like just came running from all directions to see that happen. Now, um, with that, how, how did that smell? How did what smell? The Darth Vader car. Did they have it crunk up? Was it very fumey? Did they just... Oh, uh, you know, I didn't smell anything from okay. it. It wasn't right. that loud. No, that's the other question was how did it sound? I guess yeah. I should have asked how it sounded rather. No, no crazy uh, kind of gas monkey stuff going on with it. Erish, looking back on my choice of questioning, I feel like I made the wrong choice. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> The senses I chose, I chose the wrong well, one. Well, you know, it's been to a few conventions now, so, yeah. you know, the how does it smell was kind of relevant. Okay, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, we say all that to say, thank you for using the Amazon links. You can find them at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Do your Amazon shopping. And for everyone who supports us directly at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's helped keep the show alive for this past year. And man, the the year coming, we've got some big things in store. So hang tight and thank you so much. Our featured supporter this week is Josh Lucht. Josh is what is commonly referred to as a seeker. But he knows he's more than that. He's a finder. Scientists haven't given a name to his ability just yet, but nothing is ever lost when Josh wishes to find it. Criminals cannot hide from his gaze, hidden loot, or even a missing set of keys. Because of this, Josh is not only the world's truly greatest detective, but also a treasure hunter, more of a treasure protector, who has gained notoriety for being the greatest archaeologist since Indiana Jones. Josh Lucht is our featured supporter this week, and we appreciate his support at uh, on the Goliverse at patreon.com slash geek out loud well erish we've uh, you know i just gotta say since uh josh is one of the featured supporters mm -hmm. josh is one of the folks who uh came up and yelled past the corn to me oh was he at celebration at, uh, celebration yeah nice. Josh and i hung out at the rebel force party on uh wednesday night and nice. uh had a great time and then i saw him a, a few more times throughout the convention really great guy so I hung out here that he's the feature supporter this week. Yeah, I hung out with Josh at Star Wars Weekends last year. Um, at the meetup, he introduced himself, and we started just kind of walking around, hanging out, and ended up hanging out with him for most of the rest of the day there. Um, and uh, cool guy, great guy, yep. and, and great supporter. We appreciate him in a big, bad way. Here's so, fellow shout-out to Josh. What's up, man? I hear you. Pass the corn. All right, we've Pass got, the corn. Before we get there, we've got a couple of emails we're going to jump into real quick. Right, so a couple of things here. The first one is uh, from a uh, friend of the show, Craig Dickinson. And Craig is a first-time emailer. He says, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Woohoo! 
I just want to long time. That's right. Long time, first time. I just wanted to say thank you for all you do with the Gold Podcast, especially the main show. The Not at Celebration coverage was much appreciated, as I also missed out on going. Well, what we found out from the Not at Celebration coverage is, is we were seeing more than the people were that were there. That's and, true. And so that's all things. I can attest to that. Yeah, well, you were working a booth a lot of the times, too. So True, but still. Yeah. Like the lot, some of the lines for the big panels are just hours long. Wow. Well, uh, and that's also part and due to, or the big part is that, is to StarWars.com and their coverage powered by Verizon. And can't say thank you enough, and I hope everyone is just patting them on the back and doing whatever it takes so that they will do more of this kind of stuff in the future. I mean, switch your, switch your coverage over, whatever you got to do. <laughs> in the name of getting Celebration continuously covered the way it was uh, this year. Uh, I wish some of the other bigger cons would do it, too. I think it's a great model. You know, and, and there were a few things like, you know, the Rogue One panel was not broadcast over the StarWars.com stream and everything. And I was perfectly okay with that because, you know, there are some things that need to be kept exclusive to people that are there. Um, and, of course, they couldn't show everything, and that's fine. But it was so comprehensive and so complete, and there was stuff that if you took the time to, to watch it, that was exclusive to the coverage, you know, as far as people sitting down in the canteen and having yep. interviews with different people. That it just, it was a great balance. And, you know, I do think, like, your Comic-Con could learn from that and your Wizard mm -hmm. Cons could learn from that. So um, it, I think it's a great model to get started off. But Craig, he, he, he says, I thought I might, he said, I thought you might want to know about what I'm currently teaching my sixth grade language arts students. Today we talked about Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey concept in anticipation of tracking that aspect through the six released Star Wars movies. That's right, Steve. We'll be watching the entire saga to this point, in class, and analyzing the movies in terms of visuals, music, dialogue, characterization, and the aforementioned hero's journey. I'll be showing the movies in the 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 6 order to clearly illustrate the Luke-Anakin parallels and to use the prequels as a flashback. And I plan to have in-depth roundtable discussions with each of my classes that should include some special guests via Skype. Um, He's, again, thank you for providing a safe place to geek out and for the wonderful discussion, segment, and musical interludes, especially the rock sugar ones. And I apologize for the small to medium length of this email and the nearly shameless self-promotion. I just thought this was so stinking cool. Star Wars in the classroom, ladies and gentlemen. I want to join this class. I want to be in sixth grade, and I, want, I don't want Mr. Dickinson to be my teacher. Yep. I wonder if they call him Mr. Craig or Mr. Dickinson. Maybe Plus, they'll let us just Billy Madison it. But yeah. <laughs> I would totally be the cool kid if I went back to sixth grade now. I wasn't when uh, I was in sixth grade. I don't know grade. if I would be the cool kid. I, I would, <laughs> would think I was, but yeah. I wouldn't be. Well, I know I wasn't when I was in sixth grade, so I feel like I'd have, knowing the ropes of sixth grade now, I think I'd have a better shot at it. Um, I'm just saying, you know, I think I think it'd be good. Um, but, yeah, definitely, um, that is so stinking cool. And I, I usually work during school hours, but Craig, I you know I don't know what kind of special guest you're having via Skype, but maybe just maybe we can you know maybe I can make my time to maybe I can invite myself into your class to talk Star Wars with your student, <laughs> <laughs> um, or you can go back to the archives of the Geek Out Loud and find Steve Star Wars Corner and play a couple of those for him. That'll be good. That'll be fun. Well, also if you think about it, we're like. What May sixth today? Yes. So there's maybe like six weeks left mm -hmm. of school. Like all these kids are going to be doing for the rest of the school year is watching and talking about Star Wars. I mean, 
no better class ever. No better class yeah. ever. I am I am completely on board with that. Well, we have um, we had one Star Wars themed, and uh, now we go to one Marvel themed. Considering where we're where, where we're headed here, this is from Grant Gregory. That's a good superhero name, by the way. A good a good secret identity name. Got the GG. That's right. We got the old alliteration going. Very on. DC Comics. That's right. Uh, and and Marvel, Peter Parker, Reed Richards. This is true. So, uh, St- and of course, Stan Lee says I named him the same. I had the I had the alliteration so I could remember the names. Um, he says, "Hey Steve, I'm both an avid listener of Gold and an avid reader of Marvel comics. I think your appreciation of the Marvel books of yesteryear is awesome, but I feel like you give the current books a bad rap. I read them the same way you do through the Marvel Unlimited app. So when I say current, you know what I mean. Heroes fighting heroes gets old. I agree with you there, but I think it really depends on the when and why." You've expressed that you think the Marvel Universe has been messed up since Civil War. Where I didn't love the actual event, I think most everything since has been just great. I think it was important for the progression of the, uh, the Marvel Universe to really show the readers that Tony and Steve are very different people. And by showing that, it makes the whole universe seem more real. People don't always see the eye to eye, to eye on everything, even if no one is wrong or right. The point is that the heroes truly believe they're, making, they're acting in mankind's best interest. Everything that's going on in the Avengers and the new Avengers title right now is either too long-winded for me or it's over my head, but at least no one is acting out of character. Iron Man and company are an arrogant lot, and I can see why they are trying to run the universe behind everyone's back. On the other side, Steve Rogers and company are not acting out of character to oppose what the Illuminati is doing. That being said, I'm tired of it. So you agree with me, Grant. (laughs) What I say to people... What I say to people that say there isn't any good rock and roll music being made anymore, I always tell them there's plenty, but they have to look for it. The same, I think, is true of Marvel Comics, which is why the Marvel Unlimited service is so great. If you want to find good old-fashioned heroes fighting villains in today's book, I would like to suggest these titles. The Secret Avengers, X-Men, Daredevil, Cyclops, Amazing X-Men, All-New X-Factor, and Iron Fist, The Living Weapon. There are more, but I don't think you love the Ultimate line, and I know you're already enjoying Amazing Spider-Man. Thanks for your time, and thank you even more for Geek Out Loud. And that's from Grant Gregory. Erish, my point lately has been because I have been reading Marvel through the Marvel Unlimited app, and so everything's about six months behind what is you know being released like this week. Um, and, and they've got this big story building up to their big Secret Wars event right. that's going to kind of collapse the whole universe. And for the past two years of Marvel continuity, it's like the villains have just disappeared. And everyone's kind of at each other's throats and trying to figure out what they're going to do about this big universal threat. And, you know, and it's just kind of, I, I've been reading it. It's been interesting. It hasn't, I don't want to say it's been bad storytelling. It's been a little too stretched out for me. But at the same time, I'm just like, I miss the adventure of it. I miss the, you know, I miss the good guy thwarting the bad guy's evil plan to overthrow the world, you know, to maintain the you know, you know not and I don't mean to use this word negatively but the status quo you know that's the reason you save the world is so that it can keep spinning you know and so that people can continue to live in freedom and that sort of thing and um and they just haven't really been doing that in in the bigger overall arc of the Marvel comics having said that I do I have been loving amazing spider-man um and uh and been getting a lot of that good stuff from it so I don't know if you're reading comics or if you even have time anymore these days uh I do read the comics. Um, my brother-in-law is uh, a huge comic reader, so That's right. when, when I visit him, there's always a big stack waiting for for me, and I basically just go and kind of pick and choose through that. Um, I've, de- I've definitely been reading the 
Hickman's run on the Avengers yeah. since he came on board. Right. And I really, really want to love it. Yes. His his run on Fantastic Four was amazing. Um, and I love that he came in with this huge, big plan, had it all mapped out for, like, umpteen issues and stuff. But it's just dragging mm-hmm. and dragging yep. and dragging. And it's... It's like, just get to the point already. And there's times where I'm like, like you said, it's going over my head. I don't know what's going on. Um, so it's been as much as I want to love it. It's been kind of frustrating. Yes. And, yes. but because I'm not paying for it, like I continue to read it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Although I was buying the issues on the, the Marvel app, not the unlimited thing, which right. I got to look into because that sounds pretty cool. But just the regular Marvel app, and you know, it's so easy to just click buy, and a couple seconds later you have the there comic, is, and then yeah. you know, like a month later you realize that oh, I spent a hundred dollars on comics last month. You know, right, right. Um, so I stopped doing that. The the unlimited app is cool. Like I say, you're going to be about six months behind. They just released all the Star Wars, uh, the 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 original Marvel Star Wars, right. uh, on through it, and uh, and a lot of the Dark Horse stuff. Okay. Is there as well? So cool. I guess that's the legend stuff. But um, but I mean, like I I've gone back and started like reading from issue one of the Fantastic Four, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers. You know, just uh, just going and and I found a great website that gives me the chronological order of all this stuff. Man. Yeah, and so and I've just been blown away at Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko their storytelling. Right, you know just how much they were in sync with one another, and how, and how you had an how you had an issue happen, and though it was a standalone adventure, three issues later there were ramifications from what happened three issues prior. Right, you know it was, and, it, and yeah, you know it's a stretch, it's out there, and there's some antiquated ideas and concepts, but it was still pretty solid storytelling. And as I'm reading Hickman's run on Avengers, because I've been reading that as well. I'm just like we've got to get to the point here. You know, you're going to ruin every character in the Marvel universe. Everyone's going to turn out to be a villain. And I think my big problem is and and this gets into the concept of of heroes and villains and stuff, I know, but I think my big problem is 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 there's a reason these people are supposed to be heroes. And it's and it's one thing to have a conflicted hero or, you know, multifaceted layers to their personality. It's another thing to just make them completely unlikable. You know, at some point, you you know, at some point, we we've turned our villains into heroes to try to yeah. make them, you know, and turn our heroes into villains to try to make them more realistic, and our villains into heroes to try to make them more relatable. And it's this weird flip flop thing that I'm not sure I enjoy. At the end of the day, you need Iron Man to be a hero. That's not, right. Not your bad guy. That's right. Exactly. And uh, and and man, he's taking a beating since Civil War. There days. was a. Uh... In, in one of the recent Avengers issues, there was a brilliant Doctor Doom moment. It was only about a page long, oh. um, but it's just it's. And I'm not going to spoil it because you may not have read it yet. But it's basically Namor coming to Doom like hat in hand, asking him for help, and you know Doom telling him why he's not going to help him. And it's I, just classic. I think Doctor yes, Doom. I think I've read that. I think that's that's in. That's, yeah, he's he's basically like. Uh, you know, I'm not going to help you because you came to me second. And Doom right. is nobody's second. Yes, and then as he leaves, Doom opens up a wall, and he's been working on the problem the whole time. Yeah, oh. and it's just 
brilliant. That's and classic all, Doctor all Doom. The more reason why I get upset when I hear what they're possibly doing with Doctor Doom in the new movie. But yeah, that's a whole nother. That's issue. a whole other ball of wax for past the corn down the road. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid, I, I, and I'm afraid that probably is where that movie will stay is in the past the corn segment. So. I will agree with you though that I think that I think that Marvel kind of peaked at Civil War. Like yeah. everything leading up to Civil War, House of M. World War Hulk, all of that stuff was fantastic, and and the whole scroll thing and uh, Secret Invasion and all that, and it all just flowed so brilliantly from one into the next, and each big event had implications for the next one, and then Civil War happened, and it all just kind of fizzled after that. Well, I, I thought I thought Civil War kind of kicked that all all that off, and. And then you went into like the the secret invasion, and that's when I feel no, like I thought, I thought Civil War was the result of Secret Invasion. No, that was the Dark Reign stuff that came after Secret Invasion, because because the whole point of Secret Invasion was the scrolls were in Shield's files, and and Tony Stark was compromised, and so no, I got uh, him out of order. Yeah, now. so Osborn took over. But I, I I think I do think that Civil War kicked off a great couple of years of storytelling. And then after Secret Invasion, things kind of got a little haywire and wonky. And and they also tried to do so much spinning out of Civil War. I, this is kind of my thing with comics in general these days when they do these big events is they try to spin off four or five other titles from yeah. out of that event. And I understand it's marketing and you want to try to you know sell as many books as possible. But you also end up, if you're trying to keep them all flowing together, you end up with a little bit of a a dilemma because like it's sometimes it's just not good you know sometimes it's just a little too much so um well the other thing that they did in the middle or like a third of the way through the hickman run was the whole oh we're going to introduce the the whole inhumans concept of being our new mutants right right and that just felt really force-fed in there yes it didn't feel like it was organic to the big Hickman story that was being told. It felt like it was something that came from the Marvel Cinematic Universe where we need to make Inhumans our new mutants because of all the rights issues and stuff. And so let's start working this into the comic now. Yeah. And it just felt really force-fed and kind of interrupted and got in the way of what was coming out of this big event that Hickman was built. Right. I, I agree with that completely. And I've I've said on this show that I feel like that's probably the shadiest thing that Marvel has done uh since they, you know, decided they were going to have their own studio and everything was Well, I mean it makes sense. You can't fault them for doing no, it. But no. I think that they could have found a better way to do it. Yeah, and well especially after you've heard like I've heard Joe Cassana in an interview say before, you know, that the that the comics are always going to be the source material. You know, right. and we're not going to, you know, our goal is not to take from the movies and let those movies influence comics, but the other way around. But now we have Agent Coulson running around in the comics. I True. mean, we are seeing some influences right. from the cinematic universe showing up in the comic universe. Yeah, but I, and I think those things are just natural that will happen. But yeah. when, you, when, you, when you shift whole stories. Now, what I'd like to see is see kind of the, you know, what would, be, what would have been smart for them to do is to tie the mutants and the inhumans together because they always kind of have been and, and to just more completely tie them together. Um, you know, yeah, but that doesn't work for their rights issues with Fox. The, the point true. is to separate them. That's true. I'm just so that we can have Quicksilver and uh, Scarlet Witch in an Avengers movie. Yeah. Well, 
that's a well we'll talk about that when we get yeah. to the Avengers man <laughs> so <laughs> but right now Eric, I just need you to pass the corn bro oh is it that time it's that time let's do it pass the corn Well, past the corn, May is here, and uh, we've got some movies coming around uh, throughout the month that we're going to look ahead to. Uh, later on the month, we'll do our look back at some anniversary movies, and um, and, and and I don't know. There's a few in here, Eric, that I feel like is uh, are, are, are worth kind of talking about and looking ahead to. Um, May eighth, that's this Friday at the time of this recording. Uh, Before I wake. Uh, with Kate Bosworth and Thomas Jane, the Punisher, Thomas Jane, who I still maintain should always be the Punisher until he's ready I, to I not agree. be. Thomas Jane is one of my favorite actors. Goes uh, all the way back to Boogie Nights. All right, all right. Wasn't he on a soap opera at one time? Uh, that I don't know. I don't go that far. You back don't go that far. Him, okay, but... all right. <laughs> I was uh, he all the way back to Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Boogie Nights, and he played Mickey Mantle in '61. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Just a big fan yeah. of this. And uh, and he's a big fan of of the Punisher role. And so, uh, but anyhow, it's a supernatural thriller. Thriller. Uh, and it's a boy. It's about an eight year old boy um, who's who's scared to fall asleep, and. Um, they experience, uh, let's see what it says. In one moment, they experience the incredible wonder of Cody's imagination, and in the next, the horrific nature of his night terrors. To save their new family, Jesse and Mark embark on a dangerous hunt to uncover the truth behind Cody's nightmares. All right. Um, okay. So one of the movies that will be jockey, well, probably this one I could see maybe number three, the box office this weekend. Yes. Yeah. We, we know Avengers is going to own the week again. You think so? I think so, okay. yeah. All right. Uh, also coming Friday is a comedy starring Reese Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara, Hot Pursuit. Uh, this is uh, the Turner and Hooch for ladies. Yeah, or, I mean, it, it looks very kind of Thelma and Louise to me, too, okay. with the comedic spin on it. All right. I think it's a good pairing. Mm-hmm. I, I like the two of them together. It's uh, refreshing to see uh, a female comedy that doesn't have... Um, Melissa oh, McCarthy. M- Melissa McCarthy in it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to her more in a minute. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the the trailer looks really funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon is a cop who's got to uh, protect her witness, who is Sofia Vergara. And they, they seem to be on this little cross-country trip. A little uh, the uh, Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin movie from a decade or two back. I can't remember I can't the name either. of right now, but either. it's absolutely brilliant. Um, a little shades of that in it also. So yeah, it looks funny. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, I mean, it sounds like a good, a good thing, and and they're going to be in Texas, and so that gives Witherspoon a chance to flex her uh, southern accent muscles again. So she does that get well. Back to roots. Yep. Now the one I really dig is this new Arnold flick, uh, yeah. Maggie. Uh, it's about a 16-year-old girl from Middle America who becomes infected by a zombie. Takes six months for her to turn. Uh, the film tracks the transformation as she stays with her family. Now, this this did premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City, and it's going to have a limited theatrical release, and it's going to hit uh, VOD on the same day. Um, 
which is just a, a little that... independent movie mm-hmm. uh, with Abigail Breslin and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love the idea of Arnold doing a movie like this. Um, you know, it's not it's not getting a ton of publicity or a lot of buzz, but I think that this could this could wind up sort of being like the Snowpiercer for this year. Um, that little movie that people find on video on demand and start talking about. Yeah, yeah. It looks really cool. Um, it, it also looks, it also looks a lot quieter for yeah, Arnold. Yeah, it's not a big blow em up action flick. Yeah, um, and, and I'd like to see Arnold doing more stuff like this, especially as he gets older. It's harder and harder to, to believe him as the the blow em up action guy, <laughs> as the aged Terminator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and I I think that there are roles like this that could work really well for him. So I'm really curious about this. Um, Definitely going to be uh, downloading it on video on demand. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested to watch it just because it's also another twist on the whole zombie uh, genre. Yeah, he's the father trying to to protect his daughter and deal with this whole thing and protect her from out the the people in the community and stuff. It just it, it looks really good. I really dug the trailer for it. And I just can't see it ending well, Irish. Just no. can't see it ending well. No, but, you know, zombie movies aren't supposed to have the happy end. I understand, but that makes me sad. Uh, Moving on uh, to the 15th of May. um, (laughs) This is one we've mentioned in passing because we talked about the anniversary of this movie uh, last month. This is one of my my five big guns for the year. Really? Mad Max Fury Road. Charlize (sighs) Theron, uh, Tom Hardy, Nicholas Holt. uh, Haunted by his turbulent past, Mad Max believes the best way to survive is to wander alone. Nevertheless, he becomes swept up with a group fleeing across the wasteland in a war rig driven by an elite imperator, Furiosa. They are, they are escaping a citadel tyrannized by the Immortan Joe, from whom something irreplaceable has been taken, most likely gasoline. Enraged, the warlord marshals all his gangs and pursues the rebels ruthlessly in the high-octane road war that follows. So this is in your top five can't-wait, must-see flicks for the summer. Just in my top five, and just the folks out there my top five and and kind of no particular order Mm -hmm. but the force awakens fury road avengers 2 jurassic park and minions that's what i'm most looking forward to this year (laughs) well look i'm not making fun of it it's just funny to hear minions at the end uh, of that (laughs) i've gone as a minion for halloween the last two years i'm a huge minion fan nice um but just the first trailer for this just blew me away Second trailer was like even better, and now I don't want to see anything more until I get to the theater. Sure. This movie is one ginormous car chase from beginning to end. They yeah. didn't script this movie; they storyboarded this movie and shot from that. Is that a true story? That's a true story. So this George, George Miller storyboarded this movie first, and they wrote a script from that. So this could either be the greatest thing ever, or like a train wreck. He spent 10 years working on this thing. Wow. It is, I mean, we're talking real live stunts here. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, from what I've read, there are plenty of broken bones and injuries on set. It just looks bonkers. And, Man. Steve, I know you do the rock and roll show. Yes. There is one of the war rigs has, like, a stage with a giant tower of speakers on it. 
this dude just rocking oh. like an electric guitar yeah. that is a freaking flamethrower also. Nice. And then there's another war rig. It looks like it's just like a huge tower of giant like drums, like those drums from the Chinese Olympics opening yes. ceremony. Yes. Like five of them on there, guys just banging away. I so, mean that's how bonkers this So thing. they're taking they're taking they're taking their cue from KISS. And Sting's entrance at WrestleMania. Yeah, basically, so. <laughs> they're, they're just blowing it up. Man, and it just I, looks amazing. You've got me. You've got me really. I I've got to go back now, and and watch the other Mad Max movies. I think you just need to watch uh, um, the second one. Okay. Uh, Road Warrior. All right. Well, I'll go watch. No Thunderdome. Uh, Thunderdome has its moments, but. Road Warriors, the masterpiece. All right. Well, I'll I'll definitely go back and rewatch and, it. And, and I think that from what I'm seeing of this one, this one kind of is more in the Road Warrior vein than in the vein of the other two. Yes. Um, moving along, that same in in competition with Fury Road that week. It's going to be an interesting weekend to see which one of these comes out I, on I've, top. I've got to be honest with you. I think this one will. I think this I think one just so has too. more. It's got the wider audience. It's got the wider audience. It's pitch perfect too, and I think everyone's going to be or surprised. Two pitch, two perfect. That's right. That's two. I love that, by the way. And I didn't want to steal that from you, so I'm glad you got that. I'm in there. stealing it from our art director, Scotty Beal. So um, I, I don't know how people are going to feel about this, but I'm actually excited for this movie. This one's in my top ten. Nice. Let's see. Yeah. Year, so that the first one was such a surprise to me. Uh, my sister loved it, and so she made me watch it. And I'm like, "There's no way I'm going to enjoy this movie." And I felt the same way. And from the get go, I was just I was there. It's got it, the the first one has all the kind of humor that you can imagine. It's got physical humor. It's got your gross out humor. It's got some slapstick stuff, you know, and then just some weird off the wall things that go on. And it's backdropped by this really cool story about this loner who uh, who finds her place in kind of a you know a group of misfit singers, and um, and the music is great in that movie. Uh, the the mashup they do at the end is good stuff, and you know the, the 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 love story between the two mains is believable, and it's just a funny fun movie. Oh, and. Elizabeth Banks and I, I'm sorry, I can't think of the actor's name. They are hysterical. Yes. The two commentators. Yes. At the at the competitions, and Elizabeth Banks is actually directing this one. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah. good. So I, it's kind of her first big foray into a, a, a picture this size, um, but it just it looks hysterical, as does the first one. Um, I think we can expect more hits. From as we saw with the first one with the music, you know mm -hmm. that song "Cups" broke out yeah. really big, yeah. and so I'm really excited about this one. Well, I you know, and I would encourage Plus anyone. I love me some Anna Kendrick. Indeed, indeed. If you don't follow her on Twitter, she is one of the funniest smartasses on Twitter. <laughs> she just cracks me up. Um, if if and you they actually there's a whole there's a whole Twitter campaign that kind of started by accident from this because the big poster for the movie is all the Bellas and Anna Kendrick's character is just standing like right in front with their arms folded in front of her, mm -hmm. kind of looking tough. And everybody started taking pictures of themselves in front of the, the standees and the posters with their arms folded and it turned into a huge Twitter thing. Nice. She's been retweeting like all of the pictures that people are putting up. 
Wow, Anna Kendrick. She's she trips me out anytime I see her in interviews and stuff. She's yeah. she's she's super cool. Uh, I would say if you've not seen Pitch Perfect, watch it. I would definitely yeah. suggest that to be watched. Uh, it's vo- a kryptonite movie for me. If if I come across it on cable, You're like stuck. I can't not watch it. I hear you. I hear you. Um, May twenty second, Tomorrowland with George Clooney and Hugh Laurie, who I love by the way, and Brad Bird directed this thing. I saw the first. I'd seen the teaser or whatever, but like the first time I saw like the full trailer was this past weekend when I went to see Avengers, mm-hmm. and and totally on board with this movie. I have no idea what it's about, but I'm totally. And on board neither with do it. I, and I don't want to know. I just want to. I, I love the. I love the fact that I have no idea what I'm walking into with yes. this one. Yeah. So, that did you see the trailer? Did they show the trailer? I, yeah, I've seen the the. the the initial trailer, and then I saw the new one with the kind of the heavy George Clooney scene, yeah, and stuff. Uh, that I saw that in front of Avengers also. With like the smiling bad guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm really really excited about uh, about the possibilities of this. And like I said, I have no idea what to expect, and I love that. Yes, that's I'm the same way, and so. And I'll, I'd watch Brad Bird direct a movie about a glass of water. Well, let's. I mean, there you go. Uh, I love this bit you've got here. In January 2013, Brad Bird posted a picture on his Twitter page related to the project. The image showed a frayed cardboard box labeled 1952, supposedly uncovered from the Walt Disney Imagineering Developmental Unit. The, the, it contained items like archival photos of Walt Disney, Technicolor film, envelopes, a vinyl record, space technology literature... A 1928 copy of Amazing Stories magazine, which introduced Philip Francis Nolan's Buck Rogers character, and an unidentified metal object. Um, and I, I assume that metal object is the pin, um, or the thing that the girl touches and, and transports her to wherever. I don't know. It, it's, it, looks, it looks like Disney imagination on screen. And yeah. so I'm really looking forward to it. Um also coming out that weekend, Spy with the aforementioned Melissa McCarthy, uh, Jason Statham, Rose Byrne, and Jude Law. Um, and directed by Paul Feig, who, who directed did, uh, Bridesmaids. I've not so I've not seen the trailer to this, but you, you have here that it has moments that make you laugh out loud. Yeah, it's sort of uh, kind of making, poking fun at the James Bond movies and okay. stuff like that. But there were definitely a couple moments that really, really made me laugh in this one. So, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the trailer. This is usually with comedies like this. I usually catch them after the fact. Yeah. I, I think of the two movies on that weekend, Tomorrowland is definitely the, you know, that's the top 10 of the year movie for me as well. Definitely. So and that's the one I'll see in the theater and then spy, you know, will be a, a wait for Netflix. Netflix or something. Like exactly. That, um, May 29th. I got to be honest with you. San Andreas doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. But, it's, just a, another big budget. We're going to destroy like part a whole part of the country. Yep. The earthquake is so big in California that they're going to feel it on the East Coast. Nice. Well, I love your line here that you've got in the notes. Superman's not available to save California, so it looks like the rock wheel. And that's pretty much what the yeah. trailer looks like. He's flying around in a helicopter rescuing one person at a time. Yeah, yeah. Just one at a time while millions are dying. But you got to do what you can do. Yeah, I don't fault the Rock for that. And then this is so one that the funny thing is we saw right be- like the weekend before I went to California with my nephew. We were in the theaters and uh, oh, we were at Fury Seven, and they showed the trailer for it. And right afterwards, I just looked at my nephew. I'm like, you still want to go to California? <laughs> 
Yeah, you see that? That's happening out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is one I, I'm not aware of at all. Aloha with Emma Stone, who I love, mm-hmm. uh, Bradley Cooper, Rachel McAdams, Bill Murray, Mylanta. And that's just like half the cast. I'm just well, just looking at those names, I'm like, okay, I'm there. Directed by Cameron Crowe. So I'll I'll watch this. Uh, the story follows a celebrated military contractor played by Cooper who returns to the site of his greatest career triumphs and reconnects with a long lo- long ago love, while unexpectedly falling for the hard charging Air Force watchdog Emma Stone assigned him. Is this Top Gun? No. Okay. <laughs> no, because he, he's not he's not a pilot. He's mm-hmm. like a, a military contractor or right. something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, Cameron Crowe movies, Irish. I'm a sucker for him. Goes all the way back to singles. Say anything. Well, it goes back to say anything. Yes. Uh, uh, iconic. Singles. Iconic. Yeah. Almost, almost famous. famous. Almost famous is one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. Almost famous is going to get the soundtrack series treatment on Rock Out Loud at some point. It has oh, to. nice. Yeah. It's I a... mean, who didn't go home and listen to Tiny Dancers right. like 15 times after that? Um, also, uh, limited theatrical release and video demand on the 29th. Kyle Newman's new movie, Barely Lethal, uh, with Jessica Alba, Haley Steinfeld, and uh, Sam Jackson. Um, this is uh, this is kind of like I, I, I I'm watching these things and it looks like it's a, a bit of an action adventure comedy kind of situation going on. Um, Haley plays uh, a teenager who's basically raised not necessarily in the red room like the Black Widow, but she's raised to be. Uh, an assassin slash spy or a spy slash assassin and she decides she wants out and she finds her window and gets out and then they go to get her back as uh, the bad guy Jessica Alba but she Um, gets out and you know finds a family and and enrolls herself in high school and finds out that high school is not as easy as she thought it would be right trying to fit in and everything all the cliques and stuff that a high school student goes through and then the uh, assassins guild that she was part of they track her down and it's on from there. I'm really anxious to see this movie. Um, so am I. You know, we all know Kyle's turn directing fanboys. And, uh, of course, he's a friend of our good friends over at Rebel Force Radio. But, you know, this is a completely different animal than than fanboys was. And so I am, I'm looking forward to, to checking this out. This is one of those that I'll get when it comes out and watch. I, 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 I'm excited for him on this. I definitely look forward to seeing it. Um, just he's such a fan of the wars that you know I've had uh, you know I've had a little email relationship with him for a year or so now I see him at the cons and he always stops and says hello and we chat for a while he's just a great guy Mm -hmm. and you know I want to see nothing but success for him well Um, we've been we've been trying to hook up for the past three or four years to get him on geek out loud and it's just we can never work out a time. He's great talking the wars. Yes. I love listening to him talk to Jimmy and Jason on Rebel Force Radio yep. about the wars. Yep. He knows it. He gets it. He gets Star Wars. He he and and surprise and I've well I don't want to I don't want to go to patent Rebel Force Radio on the back. They know how good they are, but they they do so much for me. But he and Sam Witt were both just yeah. are two people that whenever they're on end up blowing me away. Um, I agree 100%. with their with their understanding of Star Wars, and so uh, so I, I just just to support Kyle, you know, snag this off of iTunes when it hits that day, rent it, buy and it, the whatever movie you looks do. Fun. It does look fun. It does look fun, and and and, Kyle, and also I'm a big fan of Haley Steinfeld, and 
people don't know her, she was the lead in True Grit. actress in the True Grit remake. Yeah. She was fantastic. Incredible in that. turn. Yes. And how she has not gotten more big roles after that, you know, I just don't get. She's going to be a major talent. She is a major talent and, uh, you know, deserves uh, to get more big roles. And, you know, hopefully this will help lead to that. I, I hope so as well. It was just a, it, I'm looking forward to it. And like I say, for no other reason than I, I consider Kyle a friend of the show. Um, you know, just because, like I say, we have a little bit of a relationship outside the podcast as well. Not not, not much, but, you know, a little bit of one. So enough that I consider him a friend of the show. So I definitely say support him. So that's what's coming up in May, my friend. Well, there is one big movie in May that we haven't talked about yet. That's Well, it's just happened. That just happened. And we're, and we're going to do that. So uh, let's get out of this segment, sir. And uh, we'll take a quick break to bring in our third panel. This panelist, panelist. And um and and we'll be back. So before we do that, hey Arish, hey Steve, pass the corn. Pass the corn, man. Yeah. Pass the corn. All right, guys, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, got to bring these guys back in here. I have no Skype is just being a jerk tonight. They just recently updated. Hey man. Hello. Are you there? Hi, is this Steve and Aaron? Well, Aaron's not here yet. Uh, Skype is just being a jerk. All right, here we go. I think we can bring Aaron on now. Aaron Goins. Hello. All Hello, right. sir. Aaron, you're on with Erish and Steve here. We have been I've been having some Skype issues, so which always means I gotta edit the show and I don't like doing that, but we'll do it anyway. Uh so let me do this properly. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking some Avengers Age of Ultron. Of course, Erish is here, you know that, but welcome to the show from Star Wars Bookworms and Bad Wolf Radio, our good friend Aaron Goins. What's going on, man? Hello, fellas. How are you guys doing tonight? What's up, Aaron? feel like I just saw you, Arish. It's because you did, man. We did a little Pennsylvania Avengers Assemble on Saturday. Yes, we did. Man, you guys. Going to see... And there I was just doing a little Steve Assemble. <laughs> good time. Actually, I have a friend that... Like, the only time we seemed to get together was with Marvel movies. And so we went on Saturday, and then I went again yesterday to watch it, and that was just Steve Assemble. Um, which is fine. I, I'm one of these people. I like going to see a movie by myself. Uh, so let's get into this thing. And guys, I'm hoping to have one of those discussions where, like, everyone 
who is uh, who's listening to it wants to get in on 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 the on the discussion. So, um, so, so no we pressure. Start calling more people. But no, no, no. I just I want people <laughs> to wish we were calling them. So no pressure. Uh, just really quickly out of the gate, Aaron, how'd you feel about this movie overall? Oh, overall, I liked it. Okay. I I had a, I had some issues with it, but overall, I did like it a lot. All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get into all that. Erish, what'd you think? I loved it. Okay, good. I love good. it. I'm so excited for everything that's coming after this. It had a number of geek moments that I just went nuts over in it. Yeah, I I loved it. I think I fall uh, in about the same camp as Aaron does right now. Uh, I, I really dug it in, on the second viewing even more so, but... I, I just there there are a few things here and there that I'm just like uh and 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 it comes down to some editing choices and some cinematography choices, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know everyone oh, well, who Steve's coming in all technical well, on and, us with <laughs> cinematography choices. Well, everyone who listens doing my best Steve voice there. <laughs> well, everyone who listens to the show knows how much I hate handheld camera work. It's, uh... <laughs> So we'll get into that in a second. There's times where it works. There is times where it works. Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah. It works big time. Um here it worked for the most part. I'm not look, I really dug this movie. I don't want I don't want to come out of the gate making people think that I did not like it. But I will tell you this from emails and stuff that the show has received, it's getting mixed reactions from at least the Geek Out Loud listeners, guys. I think it's getting mixed reactions across the board. That's what, and that seems to be what I'm seeing. I didn't want to speak for the whole world, though. I, I just, mean, from I, official, I mean, look, I think most of the reviews I've seen have kind of been in that B minus area, mm-hmm. and it, even the fact that it didn't, you know, it was 20 million light off of the first movie, and I think that 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 says something there too. Well, it's it, and let's be honest, Avengers is a hard movie to follow up with any manner of sequel. Uh, to me, the first Avengers was something that should have never been able to happen and, and got pulled off to practical perfection. I gotta say, I like this one better. This one, this one definitely, in a way, even without the, uh, even without the world being threatened by an alien force, felt like the stakes were raised. Um, and, and it felt bigger. If that's possible, you know, to have an earthbound well, it movie, just, it just opened right off. I mean, there's no setup or anything for this. It just opened right off the bat. You know who the Avengers are. We're just going to throw you right into the middle of it, and I love that. Did it throw you guys off at all that um, that these guys were acting like a team, and I, it, like they like they've been working together since Avengers? I think they have been working together since Avengers. When? Well, just because we haven't seen it doesn't mean that it Off doesn't screen. happen. But it, I, I want in the movie. To it kind of implies that they've been together for quite a while. Yeah, I see. My thing is, is, is the way I've been reading because of all these other movies is that they really hadn't been together. <laughs> all, we need you know, an official timeline. Right, right. We need an official timeline from somebody. Well, but I think that even with all the with all the standalone movies, you know, mm-hmm. Iron Man three, Thor two, Cap two, I still think that there's room in between those movies for them to, even if it's not the whole team, mm-hmm. 
Maybe it's three or four here, a couple there. I mean, we know Cap and Black Widow were working together and and Cap too. Right. You know, I, and I, I think that there's room in there for them to, at the very least, have a little weekend retreat together and go to like Tony's like, you know, private beach house and hang out or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Stark Tower is definitely Avengers Tower. Yeah. You know, and and I. And and we saw at the end of Iron Man three, you know, that Bruce was hanging around with Tony, you know, at mm-hmm. the very least. So I'm well, not. And it was clear just with the conversations with Bruce and Tony that the two of them had been working on a lot of stuff together. And it was also clear that Bruce and Natasha had been working on some stuff together. Right. right. You know, the so, whole lullaby thing that yeah. just didn't come out of nowhere. They had sure. to talked about that and practice that and. It looked like they had done it a few times before. Um, plus, just that relationship that was there between the two of them looked like there was some history behind that. Yeah. Um, well, I- so I I do think that there's been a number of moments where the team had been together, and mm-hmm. we just didn't see it. Okay, I want to see it now. <laughs> well, it, I, it, it also implied that they had been hunting down the separate. Hydra agents yeah. and other Hydra bases together. Yeah. So, and that this base that they attacked in the beginning of the movie was kind of like the final big one that they had to take down, and then Hydra would be no more. Well, now, do you guys watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. Okay. Aaron, do you? I actually don't. Okay. In the last, in the episode prior to the the weekend the movie was released the the very last scene is colson talking to maria hill and he says we found out where the last base is you know we need to activate theta protocol and she's like all right we'll call in the avengers um and so literally this movie kind of picks up springboarding off of that moment um which by the way look i'm not i don't mean to be a debbie downer and i and i know i just came off as one i love the fact that it opens up with these guys fighting together and working together and the banter's there the relationships are there um i love the fact that the first line in the movie is a cuss word and cap says language yeah and, and then that turns into a running joke it, throughout the rest of the movie because i am a sucker for running gags and uh and i, I and i loved it i absolutely loved that 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 whole aspect the running gag aspect of well things. and they did it well too because it was it was the kind of running gag that would run organically through a group like that, too. Mm-hmm. Because there's points where other characters start making fun of him for it. And, you know, Cap's like, oh, so he's just telling everybody now, right? right. Well, I love, <laughs> I love when Fury says, you kiss your mother with that mouth? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, let's talk about, I mean, we're going to jump all over the place here. I, I want to talk about the idea that this movie, to be to be such a huge action set piece we also got a lot of character moments uh that didn't come across as being too heavy-handed with this you know you mentioned the black widow and bruce thing but the hawkeye situation i love the hawkeye situation aaron uh, i mean you're aaron you're a family man is would your wife let you go off and be an avenger definitely not yeah come on she, she lets ever... you go to celebration let you go to Star Wars weekends. I'm a Star Wars Avenger. Um, <laughs> Is that a thing? No, I think she would never expect that she need to worry about me becoming an Avenger. So, but yeah, that that whole thing did kind of throw me off because I guess 
er, in the earlier movies, you always kind of assumed there was some sort of a relationship between Hawkeye and Black Widow. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you find out that they're just like best friends and he has a wife and kids. And it, yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know. Like I'm not very familiar with his storyline in the comics. So is that is that like a shout out to his background in the comic books? Ayers, correct me if I'm wrong. That's more the Ultimate Universe Hawkeye. Honestly, I don't know. I know that it's not the the regular universe right. Hawkeye, at least not right now. Right. So in a lot of ways... Um, in a lot of ways, this was uh, this was kind of out of the blue. This was, hey, we're gonna do this. Uh oh, gotta turn. Yeah, you're fine. Let's let it pass. I'm, I'm losing you. Yeah, that jet's coming through again. Oh, okay, it's fine. Um, well, and the cool thing was was that we knew Linda Cardellini was gonna be in the movie that she had been cast, but they never said who she was playing. They were very secretive about that, and I'm really happy that they were because I love that little reveal in the movie. It just put a whole new spin on his character for me. Well, it did, and and especially like with the with the spiel he gives uh, Scarlet Witch at the end when he says, you know, I'm just a guy. I, you know, we're fighting robots. I've got a bow and arrow. The city is floating. Uh, you know. <laughs> And none of this makes sense. None of this but, makes sense. And and you just find that this is some guy who's just who's become really talented at what he does. And well, and of all of them, he really is just kind of the regular guy too. Right. Yes. But we also got Clint Barton. Um see in the comics back in the day, Hawkeye always had a little bit of a rivalry with Captain America. Yep. And he had a little bit of a rivalry even with Tony, but especially with Captain America, you know, kind of for leadership of the team or what have you. And and the idea is, um, the idea that I see in this movie are the seeds are kind of planted for that because, you know, his wife even says they need you, mm-hmm. you know, and and so he becomes more vocal in this movie than he was in Avengers, and of course, than he was in his, you know, when we first saw him in Thor, but. You know, he kind of steps up and becomes a bit of a voice of reason, and, and, he, and he takes center stage in a lot of ways, and you know, to live up to all these people that he's working with. And I, I really dug the whole Hawkeye thing in in a big way. I, I loved his character development, his character arc uh, that really culminated in that moment to me with the Scarlet Witch. I will say this though: as soon as we found out he had a wife and family, I was certain he was going to die. Aaron, did you think did you think Hawkeye was doomed? No, I probably the opposite. I would think once you see his kids, I didn't think they would do that. I didn't think they would kill him after that. But this movie definitely brought him to the forefront because I think in you know in the first Avengers he was kind of like the the least of the Avengers, and they really didn't put a lot of focus on him. And so this movie, he was really you know brought forward and given a lot more character development, made him much more of an interesting character. After the first Avengers, there was a great sketch on SNL where he bit, he ran out of arrows and then he couldn't do anything. And <laughs> all the other heroes were making fun of him because, well, like, can't you hit somebody or can't you do this? Or can't you? Basically, he was powerless once he was out it, of arrows. Once he got no arrows. <laughs> and that was kind of how he was in the, yeah. first, in the first movie. And this one, you really didn't feel that at all. No. And, and there was that great moment when they're uh, at the salvage yard. Um with Claw and, and Ultron attacks and the Scarlet Witch is going around getting in all their minds and like he just knows she's there because he's yeah. Hawkeye and he's been watching what's going on. And so Yeah, he's he, like I've had somebody in my mind already, it's not happening yes, again. Yes. 
Yes, and and I just thought that was a, I thought that was a great moment for him. So did I. That was one of my favorite moments. And and because of that, he ends up being, you know, kind of the one person who's uncompromised mm-hmm. through, throughout the whole thing. Um, let's uh, let's talk about you know, let's talk about these new people, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. You know, in the comics back in the day, they started out as villains, and, you know, within an issue or two, they were the good guys again. Hawkeye actually started out as a bad guy as well, and, and they ended up being Avengers. Um, how'd you guys... I, I think there's a lot of conversation going online, you know, trying to compare the one Quicksilver from Avengers to the Quicksilver in Days of Future Past. Uh, I don't necessarily want to get into that, because I feel like they both have their merits, and, and they both worked for what they were doing, but... Uh, Aaron, what do you think of what do you think of Pietro and and Wanda? I like the I actually like both characters a lot. Um, Quicksilver didn't seem to have as much to do or to say, um, but Scarlet Witch was definitely a, a focal point for the movie. Um, and I know you said we can't talk about the comparisons, but I'm gonna do it anyway, Steve. Oh, fine, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, I did think this movie. I thought the look of Quicksilver. Quicksilver was actually better than they did in the X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he just looked more like what I would expect Quicksilver to look like. Um, I thought that the X-Men movie did use the character a little bit better, but um, but this movie I thought used him well too. Um, the only thing that kind of threw me off is I'm familiar with the actor and I've seen him in a lot of other stuff. And to see him doing like a Russian accent, always like every time he spoke, it just kind of it was just a little... I don't know if he was just doing a bad job or maybe I just wasn't used to hearing him with that accent, but it kind of threw me off. Erish, was it a bad accent? Uh, it, it didn't bother me that much. Yeah. I, I thought that when he did speak up and when he did do his thing that it, it was always kind of clever and you know he was definitely the smart aleck. Um, and it, it made sense that especially after the way they were all introduced to one another, classic Marvel style, we'll fight first and be friends later. Um, that he and Hawkeye were, were still kind of, you know, rubbing each other the wrong way, and, and he was giving Hawkeye a hard time. So, you know, when Hawkeye pulls his arrows back, he's like, no one would know. No one. I was yeah. just walking along, guys, and Ultron sat on him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about what about his... Spoiler alert, everybody. I just want to reiterate. We said it at the outset, but spoiler alert. We're spoiling the heck out of this movie. Uh, what about his death? Is is he dead? I have a theory he's not, by the way. Well, it's a comic book movie, so I mean, if they don't want him dead, they'll bring him back, you know, like I I was surprised they killed him off because of just the short appearance and I think he has a lot of potential as a character and the actor. I just I do enjoy the actor. I think mm-hmm. he he does a great job in in most of the movies I've seen him in. Um so yeah, it did surprise me that they that they killed him. Um and it was kind of the way that they did it was, you know, even more heartbreaking because of the fact that he was saving, he was saving another Avenger who was saving a child. Yeah. So it was. Yes. It was doubly heartbreaking to see the, the way moment that, he that I thought Hawkeye was going to die. Yeah, all of us <laughs> yeah. did. We all did. And, and, and even after, you know, when when you see Quicksilver lying on the rescue boat and Hawkeye sits down next to him and then kind of claps him like oh, he did die. He did. And yeah, it, me too. Yes. I was certain that they were going to kill Hawkeye, even up to the point where he's still alive. I'm like, I can't believe they didn't kill him. I can't believe he's still alive. <laughs> um, but I, I have a theory on Quicksilver. Yes. I think, I think 
the Marvel guys really wanted Scarlet Witch in the movie and in their future movies. Right. And I felt, I think that they felt they had to bring Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in together. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of made a deal with the Fox people because, you know, this was the same character in both movies. You know, we just want to use him for the one movie and then he's gone. From from what I understand is that there's something in all the, like the way back when they first announced all this, there's actually something contractually where these were characters on the list of characters that were both to be included in like Avengers and X-Men because they're both. Right. And and so that so that Marvel Studios could use them. The difference is they couldn't be like the son and daughter of Magneto. They're right. not mutants, you know, and that's why they're enhanced people, that sort of thing. Um, and so, so I don't I don't know that it was just a one movie thing. I think I I think it was Joss Whedon killing people. I think it's I think it was Joss Whedon not being able to to stay away from his old his old ways. <laughs> well, story wise, I think it works too because if we look at Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in the movie, mm-hmm. the both of them have a really deep seated hatred of Tony Stark. Yes, they are in this position because of Tony Stark and because of what his weapons did. Mm-hmm. And. I think for both of them to turn and kind of forgive Stark and be part of this thing that he's involved with would have been stretching it a little bit too much. Right. So you have you give Quicksilver his heroic moment, his sacrifice, he saves an Avenger, he saves a child, does the right thing. And then you have Scarlet Witch's eyes opened up by Ultron lying to her and betraying her and I'm going to destroy all of you that that's enough for her to turn and see the good that the Avengers are really doing and decide to be part of this and also honoring her brother by protecting people also which is really what they intended to do all along right but I also think that you know in the comics and I, I, I wish I could find a different phrase using in the comics but in the comics um in the funny books? Yeah, in the funny books, Quicksilver was always kind of a jerk. Yeah. You know, and so so to have that basis of him being a jerk be that he didn't like Tony Stark. And I also like the fact that this throws all the way back to Iron Man 1 and what Obadiah Stane was doing as far as dealing weapons under the table with people. Yeah. And and so I, I love that concept and that idea. But I also like the idea that there would always be a strain between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and Tony Stark until, you know, and then Quicksilver died, Mr. Coach Klein. Um, so, uh, you know, I just, I was kind of disappointed in that. But I also feel like, here's here's how my superhero uh, brain works. Not, my, not that my brain's a superhero, but, you know, the whole comic book side of me works. I'm like, well, he's got to, you know, he's got to raise metabolism so he can heal faster. And uh, they can just make him new tissue, and maybe he's okay, you know. <laughs> and maybe when they see him, at the, maybe when we see that shot at the end of all of them together, he's just healing up somewhere. <laughs> I and just, I'm in denial. I don't want Quicksilver to be dead. He is now the first hero to die in a Marvel cinema movie. That's correct? true. I, um, yes, yeah. I mean, because Bucky's around, um, but he wasn't really a hero superhero hero yeah he is he's the first one unless you count thor's mom 
No, I, but I, you know, I mean, like, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, someone that we consider a superhero, definitely. Uh, really quickly, the admiral in the chat. This is this is worthy of discussion here. May 2013, both Marvel and Fox Studio announced a resolution to the previous legal issues, and that Quicksilver would appear in this film as well as an X Men sequel. Though under certain parameters, no allusion to his relations to X Men or Magneto uh, can be made in an Avengers film, and no reference to Quicksilver's membership in the Avengers can be made in X Men film. The rights agreement between Fox and Marvel even goes so far as to stipulate the character cannot be referred to as a mutant in any Marvel film. Additionally, the day after Fox announced Evan Peters of Quicksilver, Marvel and Fox entered into a legal standoff over provisions of the rights agreement for the character, including the issue of whether Peters would be allowed to portray Quicksilver in any other film outside the X-Men franchise, necessitating a second actor to play Quicksilver in any Marvel film. And that uh, results in two different versions of the same character appearing in two competing film series. So. This could still be one of those. All right, you know, we'll do we'll do you a solid. We'll kill him off in Avengers so that you can just run with them in your movies. Right. Well, now Mel eighty two thirty five in the chat says, and I don't normally reference the chat, so you guys should feel honored. Uh, someone on YouTube posted an article where Josh said he wanted to kill Quicksilver and Disney wanted to keep him alive. So that's. I mean, I don't know. I, when you get into these legal ramifications of all the stuff that you know, all the weird contractual stuff that Marvel had to get into, you know, when they were facing bankruptcy, it's really, um, it's, it, it's, you know, we, we don't know all the ramifications and everything, yeah. but I just, I felt like I liked the look of Quicksilver. I liked his characterization and I really liked what, you know, he could have brought to the table down the road. Yeah, um, so do I. So, so I just, I hate that he's gone and I'm kind of in denial about that situation. So, but Scarlet Witch, on the other hand, uh, Wanda is she the the moment she steps out that door to become an Avenger, guys. I mean, after Hawkeye's speech. Yeah, after Hawkeye's speech. Yeah, that before that she wasn't really doing a lot for me. I, I I'm not crazy about hallucinations and visions and stuff like that. I don't. I just I never really dig that in movies. Right. And uh, that was probably the one. Those, those visions and hallucinations and stuff were probably my least favorite part of the movie. Okay. Um, so when she came out after the Hawkeye speech and was using her powers, you know, to do away with the, the robots and stuff, that part I liked. And I liked her kind of from that part on. But I don't know. Overall, she just... And I liked the actress Elizabeth Olsen a lot. Yeah. Well, it's a hard power, you know, in the comics it's just referred to as like her hex power, she can alter probability. It's a hard power to kind of show on screen. Yeah. You know, so they had to switch it to telekinesis and, and some mind warping and that sort of stuff. But and, and I don't know how I felt about the vision so much, except that, you know, that it is that vision that she gives Tony or that Tony has that sets this whole string of actions into motion, in a way. Um because you know he gets obsessed with his mission to create the AI, uh, especially after figuring out what's in that scepter. Um, which, by the way, everybody hoisted on my own petard. Uh, once again, I've been saying since Avengers that what was on that scepter was not an Infinity Stone because in the Avengers movie, they say that it gets its power from the Tesseract. So I was just assuming it was a Tesseract-powered thing, and now... I was wrong. So I'm just going to say that. I was wrong. Um, but uh, 
anyhow, going back to so so I mean I feel like in, on one hand those visions were a necessity, and it really what everyone saw really kind of messed them up, and it also gave us some insight, especially into Black Widow, um, and so I think it played well to that extent. I don't know that I understand everyone's visions. Uh, what was going on with Cap there, guys? Do you know? Aaron? I'm trying to remember what Cap's was. Cap was just at a dance. And oh. Peggy was there. And then everyone was gone. But then he was dancing again. It was just... It, I think that it was just another reference that he's a man out of time. Okay. You know, the the love of his life is, is gone. His friends were all the old guys at the party at the beginning of the movie. They're all old. You know, yeah. more than half. He's lost half his life. From being frozen, weren't they, weren't they showing in the party as well that people like some people at the party had like gunshot wounds and stuff? Well, they showed a guy down laughing, and it looked like he was holding his chest from a gunshot wound, but they were dabbing it off like he'd spilt wine on his shirt. Okay, so it was it was the, the imagery was definitely there, um, and the idea was definitely there, but it was just to me it was the least uh, least volatile of the visions we got to see. Um, I think it was just an excuse to have a Agent Carter cameo. Yeah, Haley Atwell yeah. in there. I kind of feel the same way. Well, okay, and which brings me to a question: Wasn't there a lot that happened in this movie? Not a lot, but wasn't there several things that happened that were just an excuse to have things happen? I mean, even Thor's vision, to an extent, and and Joss Whedon, I've heard him say that he was a little upset with the way they they made him cut out a lot of what was going on with Thor, so that it becomes a little That's bit. That's what I've read too. So that it becomes a little bit cryptic, too cryptic. Um, but I mean, it's like, um, it's almost like, wasn't Thor's just a reason to have Idris Elba in there? Well, and I think to set up Ragnarok. Indeed. For sure. Yeah. That, that's I, what I felt the Thor thing was, was the, the Ragnarok. And yeah, you definitely felt like there was stuff missing because Thor would just take off and then come back and be like, the scepter's the mind stone. Yes. You know? And all we really saw was, was him just see the vision of the of the infinity gems, the infinity stones. Um, yeah, and that pool that he went to, I don't I, quite get what I, that was all about. I don't and, understand what that was. Yeah. I really don't. And and you know, and 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 so it got it got weird because there was stuff about that pool in that cave that was removed from the movie for for time's sake or whatever the case may be, and and I feel like we lost some of the explanation of what was happening there. Uh, because of it. Um, and there was a character cut because of that as well. Um, there was someone in the cave, in the in the trailers, you can see that cave, and there's some woman standing at the pool. So, uh, I, I, I was talking to uh, my colleague Tom, Darth and Turner's on, on the Twitter, and uh, he felt that the, the vision that Thor had with Idris Elba in it, mm -hmm. he said that that was hell. Oh, okay. And that was, you know, basically all the Asgardians had died and gone to hell. All right. And that that's what, you know, was freaking Thor out, and that's what he's got to prevent. Now, Dylan in the chat says that the cave stuff was all Disney-mandated set up for Infinity War, but that's not... What I read from Joss Whedon is that's not the case, that they actually... They, he, he didn't want to do it, but then they cut what he did. It's a weird kind of creative situation that's going on there. And I don't think, and I think Disney is the wrong terminology to use there. It's Marvel Studios, um, you know, 
which is a subsidiary of Disney, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so I want to know what Bruce Banner saw that set him off, guys, when when she got in his head uh, that sent the Hulk on a rampage. I don't think it takes a lot to send the Hulk on a rampage. Well, I mean... He had a vision of stubbing his toe. <laughs> she might have just passed gas in front of him. Oh, you know, yeah. And that yeah. was enough to... To flip him off. Well, I mean, it got dark later on when he goes after her. I'm like, he's going to choke her out. You know, he's and he's like, I don't even... He said, I'll choke you with my bare hands and won't even turn to any shade of green, you know. And I'm just like, dang, Bruce. What in the world? You know, it might have just been simply showing Bruce the Hulk. Yeah. You know, it, yes. he, yeah, he's true. so afraid of, of the Hulk and what damage the hulk might do yeah that's true it could have been as simple as that that's true i thought it was very poignant after they take the building down in that fight that everything slows down and the hulk looks around and it's registering it to the hulk what he's done yeah um because i you know to me the hulk's my favorite you know he's my favorite superhero behind superman in in all of superhero he's my favorite marvel character in, in comic books. And the thing that I feel like it, it, someone who's writing the Hulk does it best when they get that the Hulk is not a bad guy. You know, that anti-hero doesn't mean bad guy, but the Hulk, Hulk just is, wants to be left alone. He wants to be left alone. He's misunderstood, and he's never out to intentionally hurt someone. Um, and and so, so I like... It's just this rage that he can't control. That he can't control. And... And I like the fact that, like I say, when the destruction was done and the Hulk's sitting there, that he that he sees that and he just he kind of you know he takes it all in and realizes that you know this is not good. Um, I, I have since we're talking about the Hulk, I have to say this: the whole fight with Iron Man, mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. Yes, Hulkbuster, the Hulkbuster Iron Man suit is my all-time favorite <laughs> Iron Man suit. I have the action figures sitting on my desk at work. It's been sitting there for years. I love it. So to finally get to see this thing, like, come alive and just the delivery system for it coming from the satellite and, like, having spare parts, like, to replace arms and stuff. Yes, yes. The containment cell and everything. Oh, my God. I was just, okay. I was flipping out Okay, the time. I'm about to go a little maybe uber geek on everybody. So just bear with me here. That containment cell, everyone's talking about Easter eggs, you know, and, and Eris, you sent me a great list of Easter eggs um, that, that I want to run through. Uh, but one that I don't know that anyone caught, and I'm just calling it Easter egg because it feels like it to me. When that containment cell hit, it felt like a throwback to an Incredible Hulk episode called Prometheus. At the end of that episode, the army catches the Hulk, and they basically do it in this in this metal red dome. Um that that looks kind of similar to what the Hulk ends up in here, only more of a '70s '80s look to it, you know. Uh, only more of a more of a, uh, a, a, a an old school McDonald's playground feel to it. But anyhow, um, I and so I'm watching. It, I'm like, they yes, that's awesome. You know, I was totally into that moment. And then when he busts out, yeah, that whole Iron Man Hulk fight was everything you want it to be, um, Aaron. What what about it? Yeah, that was the part in the trailer that caught my eye, and that was something that I remember when I first saw the trailer, and I saw the you know Iron Man 
in the Hulkbuster armor on one side, the Hulk on the other side, charging. You know, that was the part where I was like, okay, Avengers is the movie that I want to see in 2015. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's that great moment where not only where he's pile driving his face and like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, <laughs> but when when his when his hand goes in and it locks around the Hulk's arm, so he starts to drag the Hulk with him to try to get him away from the city. Yeah, I was like, what a brilliant thing to have because you know the Hulk's going to be punching, but to catch that thing and grab him and take him for a ride um, was just so stinking cool to me. That whole fight worked a lot better than I thought it would, and it gets into one of my, and it's a very minute criticism, and this was one of those things where I don't feel the handheld camera feel worked very well was in this fight. Because to me, one of the things I love about reading comic books is, is when you read a comic, the artist shows you you know everything you need to see on the on the page on the panel and you get to see these two people going at it you know you get and you have to fill in from panel to panel maybe what's going on but you still kind of you get the full wide shot of what's happening you know unless there's something closer up that you need to see and and so in comic book movies when they use the handheld camera and get in too tight sometimes that's when I'm like well I'm not getting to see the whole thing I want to see it all and and so during this fight, there were a couple of little moments like that. Like I say, it's not this huge criticism, like it ruined the movie for me or anything. But it was just a moment here or there. I'm like, oh, I wish you'd just pan out. I wish you'd pull out and let's just watch this bad boy go to town. See, for me, though, that adds to the chaos and the kinetic energy of the scene when they go in tight like that. Yeah, and I, and I feel like I'm very much in the minority on how I feel about those scenes, but I just I have a harder time following what's going on. I think you have a really good point, and that's actually one of the issues I have with the Transformers movies, is that they, they don't pull out and let you see what's really happening in them. Right. They're always too close in, and you can't figure out what is going on. Right, and, um, and but two, this one, I, I felt like it worked with this particular fight. Right, and two, you hate the Transformers. I do not so. hate the Transformers. <laughs> Just the fourth one. <laughs> so, um, oh, here comes that freight train again. Guys, it'll pass. Guys, it'll all pass, I promise. Is the jet flying through again? Yeah, man, it's wild. Oh, there you go. It's, it's crazy. It's, uh, you'll hear me break up when it starts happening, I think. So what, one other little Easter egg on the, the Hulkbuster scene. Yes. And I, I didn't get this. And, and I'm wondering, I'm like, why are they calling, why does he call it Veronica? Right, right. And then after I saw the movie, uh, a friend of mine, you know, mentioned it. And he's like, Betty and Veronica, Archie Cummings. Yes. Yeah, I saw that as well uh, on, on, on an article. And, you, and, and I think you, this is what you sent me with some, yeah, some notes from that article. Yeah, it was one of the Easter eggs in the uh, article I read, too. It's, uh, it, it's, um, it says that he, you know, Banner is in love with a woman named Betty. And in long-running Archie comics, Veronica is the opposite of that. So yep. definitely, I thought that was really cool. And I like the reference. And here's, what's, and here's how my brain works. When they mentioned Veronica earlier on, I'm like, now what is Veronica? What could that be? And I start rolling through all of my Hulk, you know, stuff. And I'm like, I can't figure that out. And then when he says, need to call in Veronica, and it goes to that satellite, and I'm like, oh, snap. And I never put together the Betty and Veronica thing until I read this, but I think that's pretty funny and clever. Yeah, because they first mention it when he tells uh, Black Widow that it's time for a lullaby. Yes. Right? And then, and then, like, if that doesn't work, we can always go to Veronica. And oh, does he? 
I think I thought yeah. so. Wasn't it mentioned like early on? Like you he could does. tell that they had different protocols in place. Wow, for, I didn't realize that. Yeah, there the was an earlier mention. Hmm. I didn't realize that. That's that's wild. I I want to go back to this Thor thing real quickly, just to kind of put the final nail in it. Collider.com has a quote from Joss Whedon. There was a 195-minute cut of the movie as concerns the Thor-Eric subplot. The original scene was that Thor went to speak to the Norn, and how it would work was that he would go into the pool and the Norn possess him, basically. Uh, and Eric Selvig asked all the questions, and the Norn, speaking through Thor, gives the answers. So Chris Hemsworth got to do something different, and he threw himself into it, and he did a beautiful job, but it wasn't well, well regarded by the test audiences, and I feel it's probably largely because it was a rough cut with no effects, but also because it's something that in a Thor movie would work brilliantly, but in this movie is just a little too left of center. So that's that's from the that's from the horse's mouth. That's from Whedon's mouth there. So we can we can move on from that at this point. So, Something to look forward to on the Blu-ray. I think so. I, I definitely think so. And hopefully they'll finish it. You know, finish the effects and everything. Pull a pull a Lucasfilm and and finish that bad boy up. Um, there were a lot of great little Easter eggs in in the movie. You know, some that. The, the Betty and Veronica thing got by me a little bit, but then the other stuff, there was a lot that did not get by me. Um, for example, uh, the missing persons comment that Falcon makes to Captain America. Yep. Um, you know, of course, talking about the, the Winter Soldier. Um, the, uh, the, the Friday thing was a little bit over my head, but in the background, and I noticed this Tuesday when I saw it, or yesterday at the time of this recording when I saw this, that one of the tapes says Jocasta. Mm -hmm. And Jocasta is a big player in one of the Ultron storylines uh, of the Avengers and, and goes on to become an Avenger herself. She's some more AI. Um, and so I thought that was cool that that got thrown in there. But the Friday thing, I don't quite... I, I guess that comes from something in the comics? No, uh, I think Friday was a reference to his girl Friday. Okay. Which is an old screwball comedy with Cary Grant. Okay. Um, the claw, the claw scene. Andy Circus is turned as Ulysses Claw. Oh, he was so good. Now, Aaron, I, Aaron, because we've talked comics, I, I'm sure you know Claw. Yeah. In the comics, Aaron, are you familiar with this character at all? Only because I had seen stuff um, when the casting was announced. Mm -hmm. I had seen things that people were mentioning he was going to be this character, but I, I wasn't already familiar with that character. So in the um, comics, you don't know that this is someone made of living sound. I do not know he that. He goes on, yeah, this guy goes on, I don't know if this version will, but in the comics, this guy went on to, to end up being converted into living sound and can make like solid sound shapes, almost like Green Lantern's ring and stuff. And and uh, in the Secret Wars storyline back in the 80s, Doctor Doom was trying to figure out what made this guy tick, and he cut him up. He's like, there's a whole panel of just claw laying on the table, sliced to pieces, and it kind of drives him a little crazy. Um, he's teamed up with teams like the Frightful Four against the Fantastic Four, and he's, you know, he's always kind of been, I won't say he's a top tier villain, you know, but he's at least in lower second tier, and uh, and just the fact that he's there dealing with a vibranium from Wakanda of all places, I thought was just super cool. And Andy Circus, man, I love that performance. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just the fact that we get to see Andy Serkis yes. <laughs> on the screen, I love. He's a great actor. Indeed, I agree. And he just chewed up that scenery. He's fantastic. 
I agree. Do you think, um, Eric, based on the character that Claw becomes, do you think that they they used him so they could do digital photography with that character down the road? I don't know that they're even going to do digital photography. I don't. I, I guess that's wrong thing. See, like the motion capture stuff with him. You think I, they would just? Yeah, you, I don't think we're going to see the the comic book version of him, like oh, you know, in the, in the purple suit with yeah. the mask and everything. I, I think he may. He's certainly going to have some kind of attachment on to replace the hand that he lost. Right. But whether it's going to be that little like you know, sound emitter thing or whatever. I don't know that they're going to go that route with him. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up being more of a major blood looking kind of character. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. GI Joe, you know, with, with the mechanical arm, maybe something that he can replace with different weapons and stuff. That That's kind of the feeling I'm going to, I'm okay. getting. All right. I, I mean, I can see that. I really want the purple and red or red orange character though. I really do. I think, <laughs> I feel like you know this is the studio that went with a talking raccoon and a and a tree. Uh, yeah. I, I I don't see why they couldn't just go all the way after some accident or anything. I think it'd be really cool. Of course, he lost his hand. That was our hand losing in this phase two movie. Yeah. Um, Kevin Feige came out a couple of weeks ago and said that you know after after Aldrich Killian got his cut off, they just went for it in the rest of the movies. That in every movie there's a scene where someone gets their hand cut off as an homage to the Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. So and that was and that was clawing this. Yeah, uh, my my nephew pointed that out to me after the movie was over. I did catch one of the things I did catch was Helen Cho, um, and the being the being the mom of Amadeus Cho. And the only reason I know this is because uh, I I became familiar with Amadeus Cho uh, right around the time of Secret Invasion, as we talked about earlier. Airs. He was running around with Hercules. He's the seventh smartest man in the Marvel universe. Is he the seventh? I thought he was the fifth. I thought it whatever. Okay. Well, <laughs> he's in the top ten. Hey, that's right. That. That's right. Um, so I did catch that. And he ran around with the Hulk for a while too. Yes. Yes. Um, so so I did catch that. I'm trying to I'm trying to find I'm I'm just trying to peruse these other things really quickly before we get too much further into this thing. Um, I like how at the um, at the little party that they were at that they. They talk about the girlfriends that are, that are not around. Yes, I thought that was that was a nice oh, little uh, shout yeah. out there. Well, because it gives you it gives you kind of the the reason that these people are not here, but then it also turns around and gives you this great rivalry that's going on between Thor and Tony in that moment where he's like, "But Jane is better." Yeah, <laughs> great little character moments like that. A lot of little one liners in this thing. Do you guys? I mean, uh, at one point I thought it might have been too much. Um. I've, I've always felt that way. I feel that way about a lot of the Iron Man stuff too, that they they sometimes take it a little bit too far with the one-liners. Um, in this movie, more than some of the other movies I've seen in the Marvel Universe, missed more often than it hit on some of those. Yeah, and there were some that were like blatant ADR dubs. There was one, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was the Black Widow Um where she said something and then she's like, yeah, it does. Or, you know, like this is this, I think this is going to hurt. It does. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, you don't need that, that follow up quip there. Um, I completely, I, I, I didn't, none of them bothered me. Okay. All right. I just, there were just moments where I felt like they were trying too hard because this movie is, is, is pretty dark. Um, 
compared to some of the stuff that's come before in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, I'm, all the movies have been great, and, and I don't think dark automatically means good, but I'm just saying, like, it it ends kind of, even with the hope of this new Avengers team, it still ends on kind of a sad note. Um oh, so? Well, because, you know, all the, you know, Thor's going his way, Tony's leaving. I would, see, I didn't get that at all. I was so super excited to see the new team. Oh, I, I mean, I was too. I think it ended on a happy note, but there was still that sadness of everyone kind of leaving. Thor's only going his own way because he's got a new movie coming up. Right. Hulk broke my heart. Let's not... I love the Hulk thing. The one thing that I was... Here's the one thing about the end that I was sad about. I was waiting for the Hulk to point that Quinjet up. And just like fly out to space. Go to space for Planet Hulk. I want Planet Hulk. After seeing, I, I'll be honest with you, until I saw him in this movie and until I saw what they did in those final moments on the Quinjet, I have not wanted to see it. But now, after, and it really comes down to those few little moments on the Quinjet where you really get to see the emotion in his face. Uh, I feel like Banner's more in control of that being than he has ever been that, that we've seen him in the in the marvel cinematic universe and i'm like i could go with the planet hulk now i'm 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 okay with that if they decide to do that so and planet hulk leads to world war hulk which is what i really want to see now dude let me tell you something if you want to start talking uh but see just turn madison square garden into a gladiatorial yes yes the heroes fight it out <laughs> But for but for World War Hulk to happen, he's got to be sent into space against I his know, will. I know. So, uh, but yeah, I I mean, I was sad in a good way that he like you know it wasn't like oh I can't believe they're doing this. It was just kind of like oh this breaks my heart because you know here's someone in that scene, guys that Bruce and 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 the Black Widow have there at the farmhouse is just Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson just ate it up in that moment where he's talking to where she's like let's run away he's like you are you out of your mind and and you just see the pain on his face as he's talking about what he is and then she turns that back around and says well i feel like a monster too because of all that i've been put through and all that i've gone through and you know it's something you don't expect in a movie like this even though we've been getting it from the marvel cinematic universe for a little while now in, in bits and pieces here and there. You just don't expect a moment like that. And I thought it was just glorious in a way. So, um, let's you talk... Know, the, the, the red room that yes. we see Natasha's flashback into? Right. That was uh, the one that was introduced in the Agent Carter. Agent Carter stuff, that's right. Series, yeah. With Dottie. Wasn't that yep. her name, Dottie? Um, let's talk Ultron, guys. we got to talk James Spader's Ultron. Aaron, what'd you think of Ultron? Well, we've got the uh, freight train coming through again. It's yeah, All right, it sounds like a train just came through. Yeah, it's... Eris, can you hear us okay? I can hear you guys a little bit. All right, well... There you are. Okay, all right. Dang. Are we back? Yeah, it's so. it's Skype being stupid, but it's it's having a hard time. Eris, let me, let, me, let me fix you up here real quick. I'm going to hang up on you and bring you back in. All right. All right. Sorry about that, everyone. Man, editing is going to be a pain on this one. Let's be honest. Let's be honest about about editing. You with me, Aaron? I'm here. Okay. Let's try to bring Eric back in on this. Whoa! <laughs> Gee whiz. 
pops in hot. All right, you're back with us, Irish. Yep. Okay, Aaron, what did you think of Ultron, Aaron? Um, I liked Ultron a lot. I thought he was a interesting character, and James Spader, I thought, was a perfect voice for him. Um, he was a little bit less serious than I thought he was going to be. Agreed. Um, it was a little bit. Uh, he was very kind of lighthearted, um, and I have to admit there was some confusion for me on kind of how they stopped him. Because um, I thought once, like once Ultron got into the internet, I was like, okay, you can't really defeat him now. Like you know, he can go wherever he wants. But then they were kind of explaining how there's like this one point in the internet that they can like block it or something and i was just like that's the part where i started to get a little confused well what was happening there at the at the internet hub was jarvis was actually blocking him just from getting those military launch codes to launch nukes and so when when the vision and ultron actually start the big fight at the end vision actually gets into Ultron's system and burns him out of the internet completely burns his connection to the net so now all he's got is himself and those robots that are right there around him. And and so that keeps him, theoretically, from being anywhere else on the grid, so to speak. So he, he cut off his access by physically being there and getting into his system. Uh, I kind of thought of it as like, it's, it, like once a computer or once a program gets into something... It's not so simple to just take it back out. Like he could have just made copies of himself sure. across the entire web. Sure. And and that. Well, was and I part. think that that's what he was trying to do. Except that Jarvis was in there the whole time, also, and was okay. And without us knowing it, or without anyone knowing it, Jarvis was working to stop him from doing that. So was Jarvis kind of just like holding back, like, or not necessarily always showing Tony his true potential because. It seemed very clear when they were talking about Ultron versus Jarvis at the beginning, even visually, you know, Ultron was the more complex program or mm-hmm. the the more advanced, you know, program and he was able to defeat Jarvis, but was Jarvis kind of just like holding his holding his hand and not necessarily tipping his hand? Uh was he always more powerful? No, I think what happens is 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 Ultra is Jarvis the program just kept running. Even though, and Tony even says he didn't even realize what he was doing. He was just falling back on old protocols. And so he didn't even realize what he was doing just to kind of, he was, he had gone on defense and not even realized it. And Tony had to piece Jarvis back together. And once he did that, you know, then it's kind of understood what was happening. But I don't think that Jarvis was stronger than Ultron as, as far as artificial intelligence goes until you know, you can you combine that with the mind stone. Right. But the right. other thing that Jarvis did was when Ultron first defeated him, Jarvis Jarvis allowed Ultron to believe that he had destroyed him. And so Ultron didn't know that Jarvis was still in the system. And that allowed okay. Jarvis's defensive parameters to kick in and start blocking him. So Ultron wasn't still seeking him out. He wasn't aware that this right. was happening. Right. He just knew he couldn't get to those launch codes and he was just and that almost seems like it was more it doesn't seem like it was Ultron consciously trying to do it more than he just kind of set part of himself to yeah, work it was on like that his job. background program right, was running. Right. And so Jarvis was able to kind of keep blocking that with his, you know, computer kung fu. And um it was great force great foresight by Marvel Studios to cast the voice of Jarvis 
with somebody who actually looks pretty awesome as a superhero. Yeah, well, and that was the very first movie too. That was that was Iron so, Man. yeah, that was Iron Man way back. Yeah, which I don't think they probably were thinking that far out at oh, that no. time. I think no. they maybe just got lucky with that. Yes, because they could have cast you know Jack Black as the voice of Jarvis, and then they get to this movie and they're like, oh crap. <laughs> but let's be honest, if they had cast Jack Black as the voice of Jarvis, I don't know that Iron Man would have been quite as well received. It yeah. would have been as a great movie, except why is Jack Black the 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 Jarvis in this thing? You'd have Vision like high fiving Iron Man, going, "That's effing teamwork." <laughs> <laughs> I know. I want to see that. <laughs> uh, what about Irish? Did, I was surprised. I was the same way you were in. I was a little surprised at the humor that was coming from Ultron, and I was surprised at how much they put James Spader into Ultron. And I, I think that that was. I think that that was how they got James Spader. Um, and, and granted, I didn't read a whole lot on this before I saw the movie because once I know I want to see a movie, I'm, I don't sure. want to be spoiled by things. Right, right. But the little bit that I did read and a little bit that I remember when they approached Spader about doing the voice of Ultron, he really wanted something that he could have fun with. Yes. And, and I think that some of that quirkiness and some of that humor and i saw it more as kind of sarcasm yes indeed indeed that they put into it was was at james spader's request well i'm talking about like there are facial cues that ultron gives there are looks in the way he tilts his head i that that's got to come from spader that it did i mean like it came right out of james it looked like i was sitting there uh watching red on the blacklist I, yeah. I, yeah, I've talked about this on your show before. That I, I love the blacklist, and I mean, you can just tell that Spader's having a blast doing that show. And yeah, there's a lot of the head nods and head turns and things like that, and that, that you can definitely see in Ultron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and that surprised me because, you know, to me. Uh, again, and this comes from my comic book reading days. To me, Ultron is always this, you know, big, wide open mouth faced kind of robot, and I just expected them to have a lot more, uh, a lot more filters on Spader's voice to make it sound a little more robotic than it up sounded. But it just was, you know, it, it, and I'm not a criticism at all. I absolutely love what they did because he was terrifying. He was funny, and and there was also a certain sadness about him all at the same time that just came through that character in a way that yeah. I, I would have never thought with Ultron. And, um, you know, and it became so much more than just a big, you know, people fighting robots kind of action set piece. Yeah, it would have been easy to just go the Terminator route. It where they have indeed. no personality. Yep. They're just, you know, I'm here to destroy you. And and they totally didn't. And I, and I completely love that they didn't do that. I thought it was just... I absolutely love the characterization of Ultron. Um, a little too preachy, maybe, with that last scene with he and the Vision? Before the Vision wipes him out? Um, I didn't see it that way. Okay. I mean, just get, they got philosophical there for a minute. Oh, Vision got philosophical. But I like that, because he's the Vision. Yes. I like how he said, well, I was born yesterday. Yes. Yeah. That was a great line. Great yes. Line. Um... The uh, the the mind gym now is with Vision. Um, I love the fact that they were uh, uh, having conversations about how he could pick up Thor's hammer. 
Um, okay. You know, and how did he pick up Thor's hammer? Have the, has the Vision ever done this in the comics? I don't think he has. Uh, I, I don't remember him doing it. Mm -mm, I don't either. But, but what a great moment, especially coming off of the scene early in the movie with everybody trying to pick it up, yes. which was fantastic. Yes. And um, then him just like casually grabbing it and tossing it to Thor. Well, and it's great because, you know, we we saw that scene of them all trying to lift it early on. And, and, and we thought that that was it. Like for me, I'll say, I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say, I thought that was it. I thought that was just a nice little character beat yeah, to kind of, you know, the same thing. And so for it to, for the actual payoff to be the vision, just handing Thor his hammer, uh, was just really cool to me. And then later but the on, the thing is it's, it's, he who shall be worthy of the power of Thor. And so here's a character who was just born, you know, has he, he basically just saved the world by helping to block all these nuclear codes. Like, you know, all he, all he's done so far is good. So he hasn't done anything that doesn't make, that makes him unworthy of picking up right. the hand. Well, he's got no, he's got no pride. He's got no arrogance. You know, he's yep. just, he's just what he is. But also, you can also make the the argument. Well, he's just a machine, and and a machine, you know, you put it in an elevator, it's going to go up. I love that conversation yeah. at the end. I love it. You know, that, that was great. <laughs> that it's getting all over him. And Thor's just like, if he's worthy to hold the hammer, he can keep the mind gem. He can keep the mind stone. And um, and and is this setting up a scene where we're going to see that thing ripped out of his head by Thanos potentially? Yeah, and you know, none of us want to see that. Mm -mm. Oh, I just I would watch a movie of the vision just drinking a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him. He was awesome. I did too. Every every fight scene that he was in, it was him that I was watching on yes, the screen. Yes, agreed. Agreed. I, and I love the fact that after he kind of comes out of that cradle and he's standing there looking at the city and he and he calms down and he turns, you know, the part of him green that's supposed to be green and then he's standing there with Thor. Yeah, and then the cape he, just grows. He, yeah, he brings the cape out. So I really dug that, that you know, that he takes a lot of cues from Thor. Um, do you think that they'll try to go the route of the love interest between he and Scarlet Witch? Because, you know, they were an item for a while in the comics. It's a little moment at the end where he, where, where he grabs her up. Where he rescued her, where he saved yeah. her from the exploding thing. Yeah, I, I but I thought that was just kind of like, I don't. I didn't read that much into that, but I did. It did. It did register me to. Oh, he saved her. Okay. So hey, they went Natasha and Bruce. So that's true. Nothing to keep them going. Scarlet Witch. That's, and that's true. That's true. I I agree with you there. So, um. So I I don't know where else we go from here. We've talked. We've talked about everything in this movie. Am I missing anything, guys? Well, Aaron? we could talk about what they've set up with this movie indeed and well and what they've set up with the whole phase two to me and i and i've been saying this for the entirety of phase two that all of these movies and i know it ends on an up note with seeing the avengers and everything the new the new team and all and i'm fine with that but there's also a little bit of um finality or or almost not 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 a cliffhanger but okay Iron Man 3, Tony's done with the arc reactor in his chest. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, Iron Man 3 is the cap to that trilogy. You know, it caps it off good. He's satisfied with who he is. We know we'll see him again. But, 
you know, it also kind of leaves you like, well, maybe he's not going to do the Iron Man thing anymore. Thor, uh, Dark World, ends with Loki on the throne. Captain America ends with Bucky out there. S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is demolished and destroyed. Um, and here... But it's not. Well, it's yeah. Well, it's still around there. Let's be honest. If you, you watch, got a freaking helicarrier, your shield. Oh well, I love that he's like I got it out of the mothballs. Oh, and that dude that was at the helm, he's the guy in Captain America: Winter Soldier that Rimlo put the gun to his head, yep. and he wouldn't launch the things. Oh, that was a great person well, having there. Well, and the whole helicarrier has been the whole Theta Protocol on Shield. Is that what the Theta Protocol has been? Yep. Was them? Was them? Like bringing that helicarrier basically back up to snuff. Okay, because I've not seen the the most recent episode of Shield. I just when they said it on the Sorry. last episode, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm, it's like the first sixty seconds. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm cool with it. But I just, dude, that moment when that helicarrier came up. Oh, that was another. I was uh, like, I'm like, yes, it's still a helicarrier. <laughs> I was like going nuts. Aaron, did you smile at all during the movie? Yeah. I, <laughs> okay. I loved it. I mean, there was so much during. I mean, there were so many great moments in the movie. I know we we've kind of glossed over some of th- some things, but like you were talking about the the scene where they're all lifting up, trying to lift up the hammer. And my favorite part of that was when Steve Rogers actually moved it. Yes. And you see the panic on Thor's like, face. Yes. Yeah. Oh. He thought that maybe Steve might actually be able to lift it, and he was just kind of like, oh. and then. And then that like nervous laughter. Yeah, once the he relief that he's not going to be able to pick yes. it up. <laughs> the relief and the relief and the nervous laughter. Great, yes. Oh, but I also perfect, love perfect Natasha. Scene. Just like, oh yeah, I don't even need to bother. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So what? I'm, but what I'm saying though is, at the end of Winter Soldier, for all intents and purposes, Shield's done with. And here, you know, our original Avengers have kind of all gone their own way. Uh, you know, Iron Man to whatever, Thor, of course, to go take care of things as he sees, you know, he realizes yep. something's going on. Hawkeye's back home taking care of the family. And so, you know, it's a new era, but it's also, you're right, you know, where are we headed from here? Of course, we've got Ant-Man to go through later on this summer. Um, but in the broader scope of this universe, you know, Civil War's right around the corner. Well, and that was clearly set up in this, I mean, major divisions already established between Cap and Iron Man. Different philosophies, different ideas on how they should be doing things. Uh, some mistrust built up there. You know, if Thor doesn't come back down and zap Vision, Cap and Iron Man are tearing the Avengers Tower apart. Yeah, yeah. That's and and that's the thing, and I like I like that Tony when he's talking to Bruce is like I don't I'm, we're going to go ahead and do this without talking to the team because I don't want to go get into the whole uh, should I be doing this routine you know do the two step thing with them and I and I just that's Tony Stark yeah. you know act first and ask questions later and um, and so yeah it definitely sets up it definitely sets up Ragnarok and and Civil War um, and of course. Sets up- the Black Panther movie with Wakanda and stuff for sure. Yep. It, using the vibranium and all, um, and and of course you know the the slow burn to Infinity War is yeah all. the biggest setup of all. You know is it, when he grabs that glove or that gauntlet and he's like, well, if you want to do something right. Well, even before that, when we see the four Infinity Stones and they're kind of in that yellow cloud, that yes. cloud reminded me of the Infinity Gauntlet. Well, yeah, and I think it was supposed to. I mean, you know, I think it was definitely meant to do that. And, um, and have you guys seen the theory on um, 
on what's going on on what people are saying as far as like the different things spelling out Thanos like no. the, the acronym um well the Tesseract T in okay. Tesseract the space which is the space gym uh we've got A Aether which is the Aether right O is the orb uh from um from Guardians and Guardians. S is for scepter and so the ones we don't have are the H and the N. And I saw someone say the H could be the time stone, and it could be maybe an hourglass or something. All right. Um, that would be that. And N could be, uh, let's see, we've got the space. They're saying we got the space, the mind. The ether would be the reality. Um, so we're missing soul. And the power. And the soul gem would be, and they said N, it could end up being like in a necklace of some sort. And so, and all those things with all the first letters of those items that hold these stones would end up spelling out Thanos. It's just a, it's a cool thought, you know, to me, um, that, that, that may have been planted in there again. You don't know if it was on purpose or not, but we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. Um, in, in the future movies. I just wonder where we're going to find these, you know, to me, my imagination starts to run wild. And, and I like that Thor brought it up. He's like, look, in the past couple of years, four of these things have turned up. That's not good. Yeah. Um, you know, where in, in the forthcoming stuff, could these other two turn up? I don't have the dates of where everything's going to be released, but I imagine Captain Marvel might have one. Um, I think Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange could, yes, could definitely, I, I think the, I, if I had to put money on where one is going to show up, I would say Doctor Strange. Agreed. I forgot about Doctor Strange coming down the pipe. That's because you know it could be on some other plane of existence or something like that. It could be in hell. You know, if if we're going to get to see Mephisto in the movie, I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities of where that could be in the Strange movie. Yes, I'm really interested in them doing a doc. I'm really interested in the Doctor Strange thing because he's never been one of my favorites. But to see that character and to see that part of the, uh, to to see that part of the the Marvel universe realized on screen is going to be interesting to me in a big bad way. Yeah. Especially considering the way Marvel's you know done things. Um, and you so know, with the two so stone far. bowl and the time stone being the two that are still to be unveiled, like either of those could work themselves into a strange movie pretty easy that's true that's true the soul gem i would think may be the one i think that may be where we where we see it uh you know of course ragnarok's coming is ragnarok before the infinity war the first infinity war i don't remember i i imagine the first infinity war will be thanos actually will end with thanos actually having control of the gauntlet yeah um, i think so you know and then the second one will just be all out here we go with with everybody involved so um that's just you know my personal speculation as far as what's coming out so uh i, I don't want to get too much into some of the backlash that whedon's gotten i don't understand a lot of it i just wanted to say that i don't get it either i don't other I don't, than just fanboys yeah i don't understand i don't understand the backlash he's gotten i thought that I, honestly, if I'm being honest about this movie you know joss whedon has said in interviews and stuff that he was really tired you know he this was kind of one of those labors that kind of drove him nuts to do. And I could kind of see that in some of the writing of this. You know, I don't think he needs to make excuses for anything. I think he made a fantastic move. I mean, I listen, I think it's great. I do think it's great. I, but I definitely see some weaknesses and flaws and cracks. To me, it's not as... I don't, I don't think it's as, as solid a film as the first Avengers was. 
And he had well, a... I think that one, one of the one of the the criticisms that I, we're seeing regularly now with mm -hmm. these Marvel movies is the sense of sameness. Okay. That the movies are at least thematically they're all feeling the same. It's always like the world is going to end. There's some big know major devastating plot that the hero has to solve the hero solves it <laughs> saves everybody and there's no consequences for anything that they've done and it just rolls right into the next one and i do think that that's i do think that there's some weight to that and i do think it's something that the marvel studios folks should start listening to mm -hmm. because sooner or later and and Ant-Man might be the sooner on this. You know, there's there's going to be that that Marvel movie that doesn't work like they think it should have. Right, right. And it's going to be that first, you know, kink in the chain. Well, and that's and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Are we? Do you think moving forward, um, are we headed toward that? Aaron, what do you think of this kind of moving as as we move forward? Because they really have been. You know, I think a lot of people look back and say Iron Man 2. There's a lot of people who didn't like Iron Man 2. Uh, some people thought Iron Man 3 might have been a little bit of a misstep. But they haven't had that big, unforgivable moment. You know, they haven't had their Batman and Robin moment yet with these right. Marvel Cinematic movies. I haven't, I've seen every one of the Marvel movies so far, and I didn't love them all. There was a couple I didn't like. Um, I didn't like the first Captain America. I didn't really like the Thor movies. Um, so, I mean, I'm not as in love with them as I know some people are. Um, but I did really like the first Avengers, um, and this one was pretty solid as well. But as I'm looking at what's coming up, I do wonder if they're starting to kind of reach a little bit because mm -hmm. they just know you know, they, they want to continue to make more movies and make more money. And when I see previews for Ant-Man right now, it's just, wow, like it just doesn't look... It doesn't even look like it fits in the same universe. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going to maybe be up to snuff with what we're used to seeing from Marvel so far. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much longer they can go without it starting to feel like uh, you know, they're running out of material. See, I was kind of that way with Ant-Man until that last trailer came out and then I'm like, "Okay, I'm on board for this." The last trailer has that one great scene with the train. See, I disagree. I think I I like Paul Rudd and some of the choices he's making that I see in that trailer. I'm digging. Um I think this is going to be more lighthearted. I think this is going to be lighthearted in the vein of a Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know that it's going to be perfect. I think that this is one they've shoehorned in. Uh, and, Erish, we've talked about this in the past on this show, that yeah. after Edgar Wright left and everything, that maybe this might be that first misstep for them. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward, but I am, I'm kind of like, I see the criticisms people are saying, but I also know that if you're building to something like the Infinity War that you have to build. Um, and I would also go back and say, well, you know, there really weren't all these... I, you know, I would go through and say, well, Captain America was in this worldwide devastation thing. Thor was, you know, and they kind of dealt with that right because it was kind of centralized there in um, Greenwich. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cap was kind of centralized there in D.C. with the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. Um, you know, no one knew on Earth what was going on with the Guardians. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think there have been consequences, but we don't, you know, no one wants to watch a movie about the cleanup necessarily. Uh, 
though Marvel did a four issue miniseries back in the '90s called Damage Control back in the '90s. Oh yeah, and uh, and it kind of showed you how they deal with all these big superhero battles and everything. I thought it was it was a stroke of genius. We see the cleanup in Shield. We do see the cleanup in Shield. I thought it was a stroke of genius in this movie for number one. You had Stark sending in the Stark relief people. Mm-hmm. He mentioned that they were concerned about civilians. Every time there was a fight going on where there were civilians around, they were concerned about civilians. Their first priority when Ultron was getting ready to smash the world with that city was to get the civilians out of there, you know, to get them off and then handle, you know, blowing up the thing that they were not going to, they didn't want to settle for, you know, all the casualties and everything. And I, you know, I think that is one of the things that I've, I've loved about a lot of what goes on in the cinematic universe. You have those moments like Hawkeye saving the kid. You have those moments where there's some individuals that you see get saved. You have those moments where you see our heroes actually concerned about civilian life. And and that's what makes them heroes. True, but I think, too, like it, when you're talking consequences, it's... Let's be realistic. Tony Stark, how many concussions must that guy have gone through getting banged around <laughs> in that suit? Well, but... You know, he's getting flung around by the Hulk, and yeah, he's got metal armor on it, but that's going to tear a, a normal human body apart. Like, I think that these people who are, are talking about that the characters aren't facing any consequences is, you know, they're all up and walking around at the end of the movie. Yeah, but there's also, you've got to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief. I, yeah, and I, and I don't disagree on that, but, you know, it's, they're, they're just, I think it's the fact that they're always just fine at the end. Like, the world almost ended, we stopped it, and we're all fine. Yeah, but you know what? I, to me... But it, it, you know, it, look at it. Let, let's take Star Wars for an example. You know, they weren't always fine. Empire Strikes Back, they weren't fine at the end of that. You know, Han is in carbonite. Luke's had his hand cut off. He's found out that Darth Vader is his dad. There were major, major consequences at the end of that movie. You know, and there hasn't really been anything like that in any of the Marvel movies. Yeah, well, Thor's mom died, but, you know, she was such a minor character in the grand scheme of things. Well, we may be seeing they, that coming up, though. Huh? We may be seeing that coming up. We may, yeah. you know, the type of consequences you're talking about. I just think, here's my thing, is, is my take on comic books and everything is, it's got to be an ongoing narrative. Comic books have always been a never-ending story. They've been an ongoing narrative that's, you know, since they, since they started, since these titles would start. And I think that, you know, unless you have an end game for these movies, unless you say, we're going to cut off the movie here, you know, we're going to cut off this, this franchise at this point and reboot it X amount of years down the road. Unless you do that, then then you've got to kind of have that go on. You know, there's not how much time passed between their battle with Ultron and them showing up there at the Shield, a week. or the, the new Avengers facility. Oh, uh, at the end, of, I don't know. But you know, in the the Shield show, it's like a week. Right, right. But well, I'm I'm sorry. I, yeah, I shouldn't have said Shield. The new event because it's not yeah. Shield. It's the new Avengers. Uh, the new Avengers facility. You know, how much time did pass? You know, for them to heal up, for them to kind of rest up. I, I don't True. know. I just, I, my thing is, it's like, to me, that kind of stuff is your your suspension of disbelief has to be firmly implanted. And and, and and I get that, and I get what you're saying about the comic book world, but keep in mind, too, that these movies are making like a billion dollars each. 
the percentage of people who have read the comics and are going to see that is not that great. Yeah, but I also... You know, these movies are appealing to people who aren't necessarily familiar with the comics. And that's one of the reasons they're working so well. But, you know, they're, they're not used to how things worked in the comics. Uh, and, uh, okay, and that's fine. Uh, you know, but I also say at that point then... We'll get used to it, pal. You're in a large. You've just you've just taken your first step in a larger world. Look, I'm just I, I'm just making a devil's advocate argument. Sure, I, to I, me, yeah. I, I don't. I think I love the way they do. It. I love right. that everybody's fine. I don't want to see Captain America die. Or I was so scared that Hawkeye was going to die that I was so relieved that he didn't. Me man, too. I don't want to Agreed. see that happen. Agreed. But I'm just saying that this is something that's coming up. And this isn't the first movie that it's come up in. It's been the last couple, last two or three movies that this is a sentiment that comes up in a lot of the reviews. And, you know, I'm talking the major media reviews yeah. where there could be more and more of a discussion about this feeling of sameness. Yeah, but don't... From one movie to the next. Okay, well, and I see I see that, the sameness as far as themes and everything go. I was, I was kind of honing in on that, on the... Uh the consequences and, and that sort of thing. Well, and that's part of their, their discussion is that, like I said, there's, you know, a big cataclysmic event, the heroes stop it, and everything, everybody's fine at the end. And but, but now came I, from one movie to the next. I also feel like, but see, and I could, I would, I don't, you know, I could sit and argue the big cataclysmic event thing. I could, I could go through each one and say, well, here's where this is a big, you know, but I won't do that right here. But I will say that for an Avengers movie, it's got to be a big cataclysmic event. I think for all of these movies, it kind of has to. You want major stakes that our heroes have to overcome. Yeah, but in the in the big scope of things, you know, the stuff that went on in, let's say, Winter Soldier. Because someone asked me today, was it better than Captain America, was Avengers 2 better than uh, Captain America Winter Soldier? To which I had to say... I don't know that I've seen any sequel that's better than Captain America Winter Soldier outside of like the Star Wars movies and or Rocky. And um and and in that movie, you know, yeah, Shields coming down, it's huge to the national security and everything, but it's, it's huge, huge to global security. It's huge to global security, but it's not a it's not a it's not going to wipe out the the human race. No, but there'll be devastating effects to the human race if hydra takes over the world agreed but it, again it's not killing the human race which is what ultron was no, getting ready not to do ultron you know taking a, a, a huge chunk of earth up into the sky and dropping it like a meteor you know that it's not that level or it's not the the chitari invading new york right yeah but it's still you know and it's still a major event Right, but I don't. I don't think it's as major. I think that the the convergence in Thor: Dark World, yeah, that definitely would have. You know, that was universal threading. But I also think with Thor, you've got to get that big. Anyhow, look, we. I've gone off on the geek rails, guys. I apologize. I, <laughs> the discussion just got fun. Uh, <laughs> it did. I love talking about stuff that does not matter. <laughs> so, um, Aaron, if you. Looking ahead now to to kind of the slate that's out there, and and I and I'm sorry, I don't have the, I'm putting you on the spot here. I don't have this pulled up right in front of me. Uh, is there um, is there a, is there a movie coming down the pike that you're you're more interested in than than some others? Yes, uh, Civil War 
mm-hmm. is the one I think uh, I'm the most interested in right now. I think for say, like listening to you guys talk, you guys both know the Marvel universe. It sounds like you know the the movies, but as well as the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm more like I know the universe in the movies, and I'm familiar with the characters in the comics. But I definitely never really read a lot of the the Marvel stuff. I was always more of a DC guy. Okay. And so, like watching this movie, um, there was a bit of character overload for me mm. because there were just so many characters to follow. Well, get ready for Batman v Superman, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> and I think there's a bit of like superhero overload right now mm. in general with like yeah, with what they're trying to do with the DC universe and all the you know team up movies that are coming, and with Avengers, you know, with so many characters. Um, I'm looking forward to a movie where it kind of focuses in on certain characters i did love winter soldier because it was really focused in on you know black widow and you know captain america and kind of a smaller scale story and so i'm kind of looking forward to that Mm -hmm. coming down the road i hope with civil war kind of focusing in on iron man and and captain america see i actually think you're gonna have an even bigger cast in Civil War. really yeah yeah i mean i could you're gonna have you're gonna have falcon you're gonna have winter soldier you're gonna have spider-man in you're going to have basically probably most of the Avengers cast in that, possibly Ant-Man, who knows. I mean, it's. I think that if this movie is, if it's similar to what the comic book was, the comic book basically involved every character in the Marvel Universe for the Civil War story. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think potentially this movie could involve most of the characters that have been introduced in the Marvel Cinema universe, mm. so it could be an even bigger cast. Wow, that would be crazy if they if they went from that if they went from this movie Avengers, you know, Age of Ultron to Civil War having a bigger cast, and then the next Avengers movies, you know, probably even having a bigger. I I I feel like it's just getting too big. It's too big for the the general fan to really keep up right. with. It's um, so. yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, I I go back and look at some of what um like George Perez's old work. George Perez was is an artist who loves to get as many characters as he possibly can on the page. And when you look at some of his stuff, the well, the Avengers versus Justice League that came out not uh what it was about 10 12 years ago, I think. Um that he did the art for is just fantastic. It is just fan freaking tastic, and you—it's just a who's who when you when you turn these pages, and and a lot of these books where you had these big crossovers were the same way, especially the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. The Infinity Gauntlet was sold on covers that had just tons of superheroes on there, yep. and as I look forward to Infinity War, Aaron, you're right. I don't know how they'd get that many on screen. It's going to be. It's well, because you're be probably going to have Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, like all them added to the Charlie next Charlie thing. Cox has thrown his hat in the ring as to saying he wants to be in Infinity War, you know that kind of thing. So yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Erish, of these of this uh, this set of movies that's coming up, what do you think you're most looking forward to outside of the Avengers: Infinity War, of course? I gotta say Guardians too. Yes, because I think the first Guardians is my favorite. Of the Marvel movies, it's it's and right it's, up there. It's on cable now too, so I'm gonna watch it like 50 more nice, times. Nice, <laughs> nice. I love Guardians of the Galaxy, man. Yeah, I, I love I'm it. excited about. And, and again, I have no idea where they're gonna go with it, which is one of the things I'm really excited about. Yeah, it's uh, they moved it up to a 2017 release from I think it was originally slated for 18, um, but they went ahead and moved it to May of 2017. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm honestly, from an intrigued standpoint, 
looking forward to Doctor Strange. Um, I, I uh, again, this isn't a character that I followed heavily in the comics. Uh, I'm not like the super huge Benedict Cumberbatch fan that the rest of the internet is, but I think it's great casting, and and I'm just really I'm intrigued by it more than I am just about anything else that, that's on yeah. the slate because I just. It's something that I never thought would happen. It's one of those like the Guardians was originally. It's like I never thought we'd see this. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta say I'm really excited about the possibilities for Captain Marvel too. For sure. Yeah, definitely. She's a character that in the last couple of years I've really started to dig in the comics. And if these rumors are true that they're trying to cast Emily Blunt to play the character, then I'm all over that. Shut your mouth. Really? That's what I've seen. Uh, granted, it's just rumors right. that I see on like Ain't It Cool News or whatever. Right. But especially after the Tom Cruise movie, she would be amazing Man. as Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Um, I, I that that character to me is is intriguing because of how it ties into the Kree, and you know, and and all the Marvel space stuff that's out yeah. there. Um, I think it's just a it, it's a it it could be really interesting to see as well. I'm with you, but I gotta say the other one that's gonna be totally bonkers is in humans. Yeah, I don't know just what just to get to see Black Bolt. That's what I hope we I hope we get to see them and I hope they're living on the moon, sir. And uh, what's really been interesting is that, you know, as much as like Avengers set up so many of the other movies, like the the Marvel movies aren't really doing anything to set up in humans, but it's shield. That's doing all the work on that. Shields doing the shields, doing the lion's share of that, but also, um, well, in humans comes out, I guess. I think it's, I think it's actually after infinity. Right I, now. I, yeah, I think it is too. And with that I, reshuffling that they because do. of the Spider-Man thing, I'm interested yeah. to see what they do with Spider-Man. Um, everything well, we'll I find out in Civil War. Yeah, everything I've heard, I kind of like. I like the idea they're taking him back to school and everything. I so. like that too. Um, it's what it should have been from the beginning. Agreed, agreed. I think it. I think that's going to be a really interesting and fun way to do that character, and to kind of grow with that character. So, well, guys, thank you both so much for being on and and talking some Avengers with me. I know we need to wrap things up. So, um, but man, good times. This is. Uh, and Aaron, I'm sorry that you had to sit there and just listen to me and Irish go off for a few minutes about. <laughs> no, I love it. I love li- I love listening to both of you guys talk about this stuff. I don't. I I wish I had more to input because you're, it seems like your knowledge of the Marvel universe is just uh, pretty epic. So I kind of just enjoyed listening in and just kind of popping in from time to time. But I had a lot of fun. Well, I grew up with I grew up with Marvel. I I love Superman. He's my he's my favorite superhero of all time. And I've told this story before, so I'll make it quick, Aaron. But the first time, when I got into comic books, it was right around the time that John Byrne had, you know, the after Crisis, and they were redoing Man of Steel and everything. And and I picked up a Superman comic in a comic book store, the first comic book store or comic bookish store I ever went into. And I just was thumbing through it, and I got to the back page. And now this is this is like 11-year-old Steve, my, my big foray into geekdom now. Um, and he's sitting there. The the back, the last page is a splash page of Superman and Wonder Woman kissing. And I was like, No, this is not Superman loves Lois Lane, not Wonder Woman. DC doesn't know how to do their characters. I am not going to read DC comics. And I went full on Marvel from that point for the next decade. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Like that. I mean, that was my page. that over one page. That was my nerd rage reaction. And uh, it wasn't until the late '90s with Grant Morrison's JLA run. 
where I saw issue number one sitting on the comic book stands that I Tower you know, of Babel. Uh, this was comic book. Oh my gosh! Ever. Yeah, that was good. But well, the opening one of uh, you know with the white Martians and everything attacking yeah. was so good. But that cover with all of the Justice League on there, and it was the it was the right Justice League. You know, it was Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, uh, Green Lantern, Flash, and and Martian Manhunter. I'm like. This is like Super Friends for the 90s, and I had to pick it up. And that, then from there, I completely went head over heels into DC Comics, you know, from that period on and was getting back issues and catching up on stuff and, you know, figuring out what I'd missed and why I was stupid for never picking up that Superman issue and just running with it and that kind of thing. And But so I spent a large part of my formative comic book reading years in the Marvel Universe. And so it has a very special place in my heart. So when we see these little Easter eggs and stuff, I just it 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 just it I it jacks me up, man. I love it. So um, yeah, I was big. I read a ton of Batman, and in the I mean, GI Joe was my gateway comic. That's what got me into them. Larry Hammer. Yeah, um, but Batman on the DC side, Daredevil on the Marvel side, and then I was really into the X books. Mutant books um, and Amazing Spider-Man. Although I haven't read Spider-Man in years, but you know uh, the whole like Todd McFarlane's run on yes. Amazing Spider-Man is one of my favorites, and yeah. McFarlane is just one of my favorite artists. But um, yeah, that was the stuff I was reading. He was special, man. Todd McFarlane made a big splash. So anyhow, once we once again we've gone off on this thing as we're trying to close up. Uh, Aaron, plug your podcast for us, please, sir. Uh, yeah, so you can hear me over at uh, Star Wars Bookworms. I do a Star Wars literature podcast with uh, Teresa Delgado. Um, we're on iTunes, so just search iTunes, Star Wars Bookworms, you'll find us. Um, and then I also do a Doctor Who podcast with my friend Adam Farmer uh, called Bad Wolf Radio. We're over on the Shot Glass Digital Network. Um, so we'll be continuing to do reviews and stuff like that of all the Doctor Who episodes. Eric, anything you want to plug at all? I'd like to plug my podcast. I'm on uh, Geek Out Loud twice a month doing a segment we like to call Pass the Corn. Pass the Corn. So, uh, well, and look for Arish hopefully at some cons down the road, uh, some comic cons and that sort of thing. And Phoenix if you... Con at the end of May and then San Diego All right. in uh, July. Those are the next two on my list. And if you see him, make sure you shout Pass the Corn. Pass the Corn. And i got to say... So many people shouted past the corn at Star Wars Celebration. Just blew me away. I love it. So thankful for love it. Love hearing amazing. it. amazing. That's great. That's good to hear. I was glad people were doing that stuff, man. You can follow any of us on Twitter, at Geek Out Loud, at Goliverse, at Steve Glosson. Aaron is at AV Goins. And uh, Arish is at Darth underscore Duff on Twitter. We'd love to have you guys like us over at Facebook, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. And if you want to chime in on the discussion, do so at geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com. That's the email where you can get to us. Don't forget the Amazon links over at uh, geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. And of course, if you want to support the shows directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Released another commentary just last night at the time of this recording. Uh, for those of you who are exclusive podcast listeners, so check that out and be, feel free to send in some feedback and that sort of thing. We'd love to hear from you how we can get better. Looking forward to making the Goliverse better as the year moves on. And we thank everyone for joining us. So, Arish, Aaron, again, thank you guys so much. Enjoyed having you on. And uh, you're welcome back, either one of you, 
anytime. So for Aaron Schoenerweiss, for Aaron Goins, I'm Steve Glosson. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. <laughs>